Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Doing Virtue podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Christ, and in studio tonight, I have both of my co-hosts, finally, Mark LaRochelle and Brian Hicks. Today is President's Day, and we're not doing anything for it. And we have a whiskey to drink tonight that Mark's going to tell us about in just a minute. But before I get there, I'm going to introduce our guest for this evening, James O'Reilly. James is here, and he is the uh, co-founder of The Broken Binnacle, which is a uh, Substack publication. Um, he's also the co-founder of a bartending company called Seeing Double, and currently he works as an associate at the Philos Project. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. All day, I was thinking about what I was going to say for this introduction, and I kept being like, don't say James Siskanic, because we just had him on, and I was like, I'm going, I might say it. Really get Joe O'Reilly on today. <laughs> yeah, James like, I really didn't want to go, so right. I sent Joe, they would never know. Um, so tonight we're drinking Bowman, uh, Bowman Brothers. Brothers. Mark, tell I, us about yeah, yeah, Bowman take it Brothers. Away, Mark, please. I don't, you can just read what's on the bottle. That's all I'm going to do. No, I, I found something. Oh, nice. On, Let's go. On Google. Can I bring it up, dog? Uh, here, you can have, I'm not partaking. Because uh, it's Lent. He's a good boy. And see one of those Exodus 90 guys. Can't talk about it. Well, I can't talk can't about Tyclo right now. <laughs> <laughs> First rule. Uh, no, like. Do you have they're, any? They're, 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 they're <laughs> <laughs> these two are doing like Exodus, Exodus, and I'm not doing Exodus at all. So I like mm-hmm. gave up alcohol and that's kind of it. So it's like. Yeah, I, I was very open on the podcast with James uh, Siskanic. We had, uh, it was a morning podcast and we had, uh, I made uh, Irish coffees and he was like, oh no, no, I'm not going to have any. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to force you. And then on the podcast, he was like, well, I'm doing Exodus. And I was like, well, I'm also doing Exodus, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I still drink on the show. So, um, um, yeah. Well, yes. So this Bowman Brothers small batch, uh, it's oily and thick mouthfeel is immediately noticeable. Hmm. I don't know what that means. Uh, you get vanilla, toffee, roasted nuts, and toasted oak hint with medium okay. intensity. Okay. It's 90 proof. Cool. So. All right. Well, this is the... No? This is Doing Virtue. Catholic Podcast. Where virtue is what we do. Cheers. Cheers, gents. Uh, as always, I have a few comments on the bottle. The reason I got this, other than it was on sale for $34, which was actually a pretty good deal. I like um, that little picture that you can see. Too, yeah, so it's. I was looking at getting, um, <clears throat> there's a really solid bourbon called there. Jefferson's, um, and they've got like a reserve. They have a few different mm-hmm. kinds. One of them has a boat, which is why I was going to get it. But this was uh, right nearby, and it's kind of a cool bottle because it actually looks like, um, uh, I don't think I have it. Elijah Craig is kind of what the bottle yeah. looks like. Yes, it but does. it's neat because the sticker on the back has... Um, has a picture, so when you look through the bottle, you can see it, and it's... Um, I actually don't know who's on it, but it looks Davey like... Davy Crockett. It looks like Davy Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> Something that isn't PC. At, um, the, at the Alamo. Titties. Is that what it is? Uh, no, it's definitely not what it is. <laughs> but um, I thought it was a good... It looks very American, and it's President's Day, so... God cheers bless, to America. God yeah. bless Joe Biden. Well, yes. Well, yes. yes. We can, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, mm. Agreed. Good. So... Is it good? I'm going to live vicariously um, through you. Yes. It it's is. Oily. Yeah. At the, start. The, the oily mouthfeel. So this is called... Um, it. it is immediately noticeable. It like dies off, actually. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not... No, no, no. The, the flavor does. It like oh, hits it. you. The and flavor it, dies it off. Yeah. Yeah, it a little bit. Off. I was reading a review a of it and it said that it like has no bite at all. Yeah, it's really smooth. Mm-hmm. But I think that's... It's a small batch and it also... 
Um, it says it's copper distilled, which I don't know. I'm not sure what that adds, but I assume that it adds, it makes it smoother. Expensive, more expensive. Probably more expensive, but but for thirty-four dollars, it's not. Um, it's not that expensive. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I think for thirty-four bucks, I would do that again. So yeah, it's good. Little, little spice at the end, but would you use it to mix with? Um, because it's thirty-four dollars, I'd be tempted to. But I think it's a lot better than. Like it's definitely a step up from like Maker's Mark and. I would say it's kind of like a wild turkey. That's that's what I would put that at. So, I don't know. Anything over like 40 or $50, I wouldn't... I mean, honestly, even even stuff that's cheaper I wouldn't mix with. But um, I don't think I would mix with this. It's a little nicer. Yeah, I mean, it'd be good for but, a fashioned... Yeah, if you were... It's actually standing on its own legs a bit more. Yeah, for sure. If it's... I mean, I wouldn't put it in like a sour or yeah. um, in something where there's a lot of other ingredients. But if it's, if it's primarily the whiskey, yeah, I might do that. Um, so... Um, so tonight we have James on and it's another introduction. This kid. Okay. All right. Two and five someone minutes. someone well, else take it like, away. No, yeah. uh, so we take had it away, break. Mark. <laughs> yeah. I meant to reach out to a different James O'Reilly. So it's really awkward. Um, no, let's, let's get started. Um, for anyone that doesn't know you who would listen to this, I think most of our listeners right now are in front Royal and probably know the O'Reilly clan, but if, if they're not, or if they, for some reason don't know who you are, um, give us a little bit of a background on who you are and uh, where you grew up, where you went to school, and then we'll get into some other things. Yeah, <clears throat> of course. So Front Royal people would likely know the O'Reilly clan because we grew up in Front Royal. So um, our family home is actually just down the road. I just walked here. That was great. <laughs> um, I didn't look at the map of the of the uh, location you had sent me until tonight. I was like, oh my gosh, it's it's right there. I don't even have to drive. This is great. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Front Royal, um, went to Christendom with you guys, of course, um, played soccer with Brian and Mark here. That was a good time. Um, I was the only senior that was a great for my senior year, and that was, that was so awesome. sad. Was awesome. um, but you guys were in Rome, too, for the, yeah. for one part of it, so it was kind of just like two pseudo-seasons. Um, but yeah, graduated from Christendom with a philosophy degree. Um, since then, I've gotten involved with uh, the Near East space. Um, you said the Felix Project. I worked with the Catholic team there. Um, it's primarily just a Protestant, uh, non-denominational group, um, but they're not anti-Catholic by all means. They started a, a Catholic team, so got involved with them and then started the Broken Binnacle February of 2022, so just over two years now. Um, and that kind of came out of Christendom, too, wanting to... A lot of what I think I, I would imagine inspired this podcast, too, like wanting to keep the conversations going um keep that flame um fanning and trying to spread it mm -hmm. uh, and then of course with the bartending that was just something joe and i were doing on the side and we we're like let's try to incorporate this a little more actually build it out uh we have some good marketing here just being twins so <laughs> yeah between those three things i stay busy um i'm all i just started with a a group in dc called young cat professionals too and we just it's it's more of a ministry so we do events and such and the DC area just for young Catholic professionals. Um, so it's been a great experience just of getting to meet people who are, I mean, it's DC, it's an hour away, but it's Catholics who aren't in the kind of classic front Royal Northern Virginia space. Um, that's been just nice to hmm. actually meet people and like people who don't come from that, that background. Um, so it's been good to be able to help and serve in that way. Um, but yeah, that's, 
And is that, are you volunteering for that? Yeah, that's just a volunteer <clears throat> role. Um, okay. Of course, there's ulterior motives because it's just good for networking too. It's not like sure. I'm doing it out of like just zero selfish interest. Um, it's like 50% <laughs> selfish. Right, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. First uh, question right off the bat, do you have any free time? Because it seems like you are doing loads of different things. Yeah. Um, I usually have to force myself to just like relax and even like as hobbies i play guitar um and that would just be kind of intermittent throughout the day like even just for lunch i'll go do that um but there's definitely always things that are pressing that i need to do so it's definitely become something that i have to be more intentional about of actually like carving out time and being like okay i actually don't have any plans this weekend i'm not going to make plans because i mm. need to just kind of unwind a little bit right um but it's definitely kept me busy and there's times where i'm sorely tempted to drop one of them sure. um which would be good but it also depends because the bartending right now it's not really wedding season uh, it's right. been quiet the next gig we have isn't for i think another month or two okay. but once the summer comes that'll right. build up a lot more um but yeah everything else is pretty consistent so between all those it's a lot of a lot of different things i'm juggling in my in my intro, I think I said the Philos project. Is it is it Philos? Yeah, so it's pronounced okay. Philos. Okay. Um, of course, the root just comes the same place as philosophy, love of wisdom. Philos just means love, friendship, kind of thing. Um, so our goal is building friendships, community yep. bridges with, first of all, Near Eastern Christians in the Holy Land and those areas, but also just the peoples of the land as well. So mm -hmm. we do a lot of stuff with, uh, at least on my end, Jewish Catholic relations. Um, not as much on like the Jewish Muslim space because that one's a little harder to break into. <laughs> um, and then just even spiritually in terms of patrimony, we just don't have as much in common with them. So yeah. Um, yeah. The Philos project, that's how it's pronounced. Uh, don't worry. Everyone says Philos or something like that. Um, so yeah. How, how did you, how did you find out about that? Like, was that something you were pursuing like while you were at Christendom that you found, or was that like later on you found out about it and went for it? No, it was, <clears throat> The plan was to go into teaching after Christendom. Uh, I was looking at different teaching positions last semester of senior year. And then my brother-in-law dissuaded me from doing that, saying, like, that's great. Like, I don't care that you want to go into teaching. I think that's great. But go out, get some more, like, practical real-life experience, and then bring that back into academia where you have a more well-rounded approach. Uh, you haven't just been living in the ivory tower uh, <laughs> college and mm. onward. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that I decided not to go that track. I mean, I would still love to do that down the road, um, go back to school and then teach undergrad or graduate level in philosophy or history. But I decided not to do the teaching and then I was kind of just bouncing around that summer. I was just working for my dad, um, here in front Royal for his vacation company, um, which you, Anthony have worked for in the past. Rolling uh, River Holidays. Rolling River Holidays, yeah. Get it out there. Go follow them. Check them out. <laughs> stay there. Um, but I got contacted by uh, my now director at Philos Catholic, at Philos Catholic. Name, his name is Andrew Doran. Um, but he was running another nonprofit called In Defense of Christians, IDC for short. Not a great acronym for, for Gen Z crowd, IDC. <laughs> I don't care. Um, but I got involved with him just doing part-time research work, and that was researching things like Christian persecution in Nigeria mm -hmm. and in Africa and in the Middle East and Syria. Um, and then that part time, it was just research for him. It wasn't actually, it was kind of for in defense of Christians, but 
they just liked it and then they brought me on part-time to work with them just doing the research and during that time i was also getting involved with philos because they had leadership programs um, and this was my sister gray she she knew andrew had worked for him before she found philos and found their programming it was like hey james you should check this out mm. so i did and it was this online program uh that these classes that philos makes uh called pathfinder and it was on kind of all things near east um like Islam 101, Near Eastern Christian communities, um, Christian-Jewish relations in the Bible history and today, um, security dynamics in the Near East, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, like everything, like religion, mm -hmm. politics, pretty much the whole slew of that space. Um, and that's that's the resources they put out to people who follow the project, or is that people for resources for people who work for the project? It's for anyone. So it's just okay. it's they're trying to educate on the the space, mm -hmm. the Near East space. And by Near East, I just mean Middle East generally, and then specifically the Holy Land, Levant area, Egypt, Syria, uh, Israel, all that. Um, but I got involved with those. They're free. It's online. Uh, anyone can take them. Mm -hmm. And through this, there's this application process where you can sign up then for once you complete the online courses. And they're not that long. Um, if you put in the time, it doesn't. it's really not too much. Um, but then they have these in-person retreats that you can sign up for if you finish the online classes. And I did that. And got to meet the people at the Felix Project, the president, Robert Nicholson. Nice. Um, and they just had a really cool thing going. And uh, I was new to it as well. It was very supplementary and complementary to what we'd learned at Christendom. Of course, mm -hmm. we studied history and all these things. Um, Islam, too, at least in a historical way. So getting involved with this work was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting because um, it was... It was very complimentary to it but it was in a more contemporary sense where it wasn't just history it was mm. current things going on in the world um but also still attached to the history of everything you're still getting to the history but it's very relevant to what's going on today um so i stayed involved with them and after the in-person retreat went on a trip with them to the holy land um so they have leadership programs and this is all part of the leadership program called the Felix leadership institute and I did that with them in November or October of 2022. Um, so I was in Israel for 10 days and then we were over in the UAE just meeting with leaders there. Um, and again, this is, I had taken classes and done their in-person retreat, but other than that, like I studied philosophy at Chris and mm -hmm. I was never really keeping up with the Near East space or even like, I didn't really read the news that much, kind right. of kept up with it generally in the same way that most people would. You're just, as a student, you're just focused on your school. Right. Um, so getting involved with that in the last two, three years has just been challenging, um, of course, because, uh, of course, you're not just me. Like, I'm working with Protestants, so even for my uh, my Catholic faith, like, the Catholic-Protestant relations have been good um, in terms of growing and trying to understand just where they're coming from. But then it goes even bigger with the monotheistic religions where all of a sudden you're sitting in, I don't know, um, Bethlehem, you're chatting with this this Muslim guy and you're having conversation, like, it's not even like, uh, Oh yeah, we both believe in Jesus. It's like even bigger. It goes bigger than that. So getting challenged in that way after having grown up in front Royal and uh, going to school where it was kind of just, of course it's easy to be complacent. Like everyone's Catholic. Um, not that I hadn't ever met non-Catholics before, but where you're engaging with them on very serious topics too. Uh, that was all, fascinating so yeah it's a kind of convergence of things and then through all that stayed involved with them did like two or three internships with them and eventually came on full-time in june of this last year 
2023. Kind of on that on that note, um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate kind of in the Catholic world about whether you go out and kind of like do outward evangelization and change the world and <clears throat> travel and all of that, and or whether you kind of do the other option, which is there's different names for it, but like a kind of a famous name is the Benedict option, and there's right. a there's a book about that. Um, and it's, it's more, you know, it's kind of that debate. Like, do you, do you leave the Shire and go do things or do you stay and kind of preserve and build up what's already there? And I think that for the most part, it's both. Like, I don't think that everyone should leave because if everyone leaves, then no one's here. Yeah. The, the bubble or whatever you want to call it isn't growing and you're not protecting anything. But then also if you stay and no one leaves, then you're not making the world better. And eventually, depending on where you're at, your little bubble is going to get popped because the horribleness of the world is going to like encroach on that. So right. um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Um, I think it might be different for, for men and women, like whether women are called to go out and do that and men and all of it does probably come down to your like particular gifts that you're given. But um, mm-hmm. do you think that like kind of for the most part, or maybe a generalization it is a good idea to, leave where you're from and at least go experience things. And that could be something as simple as like an abroad program or like an institute or something and then come back. Or do you think that it's also okay to just kind of stay where you're at? Um, I think it's definitely healthy to get that outside experience. Um, not saying it'd be a damning thing if you didn't, but mm-hmm. um, like there's, it doesn't take too much to actually get out and experience yeah. Um, something outside the Shire and I'm glad you use that experience or that that uh, example because I always say that too um, I always think of the guy at the Green Dragon uh, like we don't care about what goes on beyond our borders uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's definitely people who have that mentality um, where just the world's all evil outside mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. we just have to focus on building um, so I think it's good to get out of that mindset kind of the Shire mindset um, the bunker mindset um, yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of people who live that way and it depends where they're coming from too because i realize a lot of people are coming from different places where they didn't grow up here and they came here and they think it's great and they they want to build something here um for me personally though it's it's the other way around because my parents came here and have built something very beautiful and good um i grew up with a great community here so i've always felt like i'm a part of the the group that had to go out now like we we did the retreat kind of the benedict option in a way and I don't think the Benedict Option, like Rod Dreher, I don't think he, he, I think he believes that the Benedict Option is retreating so that we can go out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to think, Benedict, like, I didn't really, I never read the book. I still haven't, but I've just heard him speak about it more too. Um, where he says, yeah, it's good. like the Benedict Option isn't like the end. It's not the ultimate thing. It's kind of yeah. the additional thing. You're doing it so that you can build mm-hmm. something good and then share that with the world. Right. Um, and I might still be getting him wrong, but... Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I, I kind of read it. And that's what mm-hmm. I try to do myself. Yeah. And I, I feel like another way to, to look at it is a lot of this is very situational on your, like based on your state in life, because I, I, and again, it could be different for different people, but I think that as a general rule, if you have, you know, five kids under four somehow, mm-hmm. you know, like you've got a ton of little kids, your specific calling might not be to go to New York city and try to do street evangelization. Right. Maybe it is, but most likely that stage of your life where you can not know what you're eating the next day and not really know where you're sleeping and you're just kind of going all out or maybe you're actually at a nice, like maybe you're just at a good corporate job, but you can go work right. in politics or something like that. You're, you can do that when you're younger. And then as, as your responsibility 
starts to ground you in a way i feel like that that kind of causes you to say okay now i've kind of given up on the adventurous side and these different things and hopefully you've had an experience where you can go like it, it's really important to get a, a world view right? right if you if you've never been overseas if you've never been to europe that doesn't mean you can't be successful but it is a lot harder to like appreciate art appreciate architecture and mm-hmm. just there's a lot of things that you're missing if you don't experience the world um, and it limits your point of view and i think that the broader your point of view is um, that allows you to be able to start sorting out like the good from the bad right. and, and be able to not just let everything in and just accept it as good, but to actually be able to sort out like what's actually bad and what do we actually need to avoid? And then what's something that's lacking and, but you know, yeah, they're Protestant, but that's okay. Like right. we can still be friends with them. I think that like a lot of communities start becoming like, okay, well we're all Catholics. So, like that's, that's all, that's, that's all, you know, right. the only people we're talking to. But it's for self-understanding too. It's not just to sort of what's yeah. right and wrong. Like I believe it's Chesterton has that analogy of, the boy who lives on the side of the hill with the white horse and he can't see the white horse for what it is, but it's what he's lived on his whole life. And he has to step away from that and move on. Mm. And then he turns back and sees where he's lived on. He sees it makes sense now because he can see it from the outside as well. And that gives him this understanding. Like if you can't really know what's right and wrong, if you don't really know who you are, what, what mm-hmm. is. So knowing where you're coming from too allows you like coming where you come from, but also seeing that from the outside again, where I'm, yeah, I'm working with Protestants or I'm like in dialogue with Jewish people or Muslims. Um, all of a sudden you can see like, Oh, okay, well I still disagree, but I can at least see why you struggle with believing what we believe here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still believe it, but it's easy for me because I've seen it lived <clears throat> out in a very positive way where a lot of people just have the stereotypes or certain wounds or, or just, yeah, complete misunderstanding, too. And it's been beautiful to see, like, even in small ways with these conversations um, where I'm challenged, but I can see it's working on them, too, where you're breaking down those stereotypes yeah, and actually giving them the real thing while also honing your understanding of what, in our case, Catholicism is and what that looks like to the outside world. And then that can actually allow you to kind of not interpret it, but show them what it is in a way that they understand. Yeah. If you're those conversations, are they like you just go to this place and there are other like it's almost like an invitation thing. People are invited to this place and then you just go talk with them, or is it like no? More, it's more just when you're on the ground. Like if you're, I don't know, you might just be getting a drink somewhere and you're okay. in Israel and it's like you just get in a conversation with someone, um, or maybe even just your tour guide. Like our tour guides are usually we work with this Jewish tour company. Um, okay. So like I've we actually took. The Dominican House of Studies on a, uh, a pilgrimage this last August. So we were there with 13 of their seminarians. Well, three or four of them were priests, the rest were seminarians. But one of the nights I went down with Brother Raphael. Um, mm. He's at the Dominican House of Studies in DC. He's great, love him. Um, but we were just sitting there having a drink with the tour guide who's this who's Jewish dad. Um, and we, we just got into like a lot of like very deep topics, but like brother Raphael was great and there were points too where like um i guess i won't say it doesn't really matter but the, the tour guide was like tearing up because he thought some of the things he was he was saying were so beautiful and this mm-hmm. this tour guide wasn't really religious there's a lot of more orthodox and religious jews of course in israel especially but um they still take certain things seriously like shabbat that's very serious right. to him but where he's sitting there with this dominican they're just having a beer together and like brother Raphael was just so articulate and so understanding and like compassionate because you're getting into like not just like oh is god real but also just even like moral things um 
and just hearing those conversations being a part of those conversations is again challenging but also so right. beautiful where you you're starting to see it, it okay change for them a little bit they're being challenged right. um so yeah it's, it's more just like in the day-to-day it's not really like a forced thing and okay. i think it would be it'd be weird it'd be it weird was. if it is yeah, forced yeah. it'd just be it would be kind of more kumbaya like right. oh yeah well that's nice we all believe in, in god right. like different interpretations of but it most of the time it's yeah just on the street or just grab and drink somewhere um but is it mostly facilitated by like pilgrimages or like going play like so you you going like the company is like all right we're going to israel for 10 days and then it's like okay and this is this is where you're going to be for the next 10 days so this is kind of your like i guess where you're going to be doing this but is it i I don't know it just seems well when we're taking people on trips it's not like we're going for them to have dialogue they're going to be meeting with people but like in the case of the seminarians it's more of a pilgrimage so we're getting them to like we're taking them to the sites okay they're praying um but we're also taking them to in some cases like a mosque there's this one town outside of jerusalem and it's like muslims who are not anti-jew like they're just like not anti-smith like they they work with the jewish people there and they have a very healthy relationship and just learning about like, Oh, how do you coexist together? Things like that. Mm. Or you're going to a Shabbat dinner. Um, like it was one of the nights, Friday night Shabbat, we went to dinner with this Jewish family and the father was actually a Kohenim, a, a priest. Mm. Uh, so if the temple was rebuilt, he would be one of the priests for mm. it. But he oh. was just like this fair, like just a very sweet family, but all the brothers, then they're like having these conversations where the seminarians are sitting there with the kids and they're talking about these things because like, it's these Israeli yeah. Jews. They don't really know that much about Dominicans. Right. So they're sitting there kind of like, oh, why do you wear this? Why? Do, yeah. Why do you <laughs> yeah. wear this? Like, what are the habits for? Things like that. And right. then the seminarians too are kind of learning more about Shabbat. And it's like, oh, again, it's, there's so much we can relate on. Right. Um, of course, there's big major differences, but in terms of just very human things, it's like, okay, there's, there's a lot here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it's not like we're, again, it's not, we're not facilitating. Like, right, right, right. We're all going to get together in this room and we're going to talk about Catholic Jewish <laughs> right. relations. No, 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 it's sure. Like, right. That's I've, where it gets cringy. It's like, no, you just want it to, it, it'll happen naturally if you're in right. that space and everything is just kind of soaked with, I mean, you're just on the streets walking around with Muslims, Sikhs, Jews, right. all the different Druze, um, all the different Near Eastern mm-hmm. religions. Um, so it really is potpourri of, I mean, there's no other place that is the crossroads of so many different things religiously, right. politically. Um, so it, that kind of, those kind of conversations are just going to happen right. if you're willing to just start them. a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Was and, there a, was there a point uh, when you were discerning, like you went to your first retreat or you took your first class and you're like, I'm in, or was, was there like a gradual sort of like, I'm interested, but I don't, I'm hesitant to sort of join on like full time. What was that? Like, was well, there a point that you remember in terms of that? The leadership program, it's not like you had to pay anything. Again, it was fully funded, so if you stuck with it, um, they were going to cover you if you were interested. Um, mm. Of course, they want you to be like agree with the mission or at least be persuaded by it. Um, so it's not like I was just like, oh, do I not go to Israel for free? <laughs> it's like, I'll do that. And it's not like I had to start working for them if you right. do that. Right. Their thing, it's almost like Kristen, where Kristen's like, no, come and get this formation and then go out into all the different spaces. Mm. Felix kind of has that mentality too, where they're like, have these leadership programs and get people to understand this region, people who are connected to the Hebraic roots of their faith. Because again, like the whole, <clears throat> it gets, it can be dicey. Like a lot of Catholics cringe because it's like, oh, like we're, we come from the Jewish faith. But it's like, well, that's actually what the church teaches too. But right. like there's 
especially Benedict, John Paul II, they say a lot of stuff um, on this. So in terms of that, like theology, you're kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about some of mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but it's not like you have to come to some decision on that right, right away. Um, and you ultimately wouldn't even have to as long as you're actually open to learning and um, just tough conversations right. and being amenable to right. to all that. Right. So if, if there was for a job, yeah, I definitely would have discerned more. But it was like, this is interesting. This is awesome stuff you're learning. It's challenging, yeah. but also fascinating. So I just, yeah, there's never any point where I was like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book that Peter Kreeft wrote, I want to say 10 years ago, called Ecumenical Jihad. And the main thesis of the book <clears throat> is that we are called to evangelize all nations, obviously, and that part of that is being able to evangelize the Muslims because there's other there's other religions, you know, I guess there's maybe more Protestants than Muslims, although I don't think that's true anymore. But um, he was talking about how, like, many of them are very anti-Catholic, and so mm-hmm. they're kind of the furthest away from the faith in many ways um, while still believing in some type of... Uh, some type of God. Um, but his interpretation, and I don't remember all of the, um, all the details, but I remember like after reading that being like, wow, he really seems to think that basically all Muslims can, uh, have a relationship with Christianity, even if they don't convert because we have, and he he has these lists of, has this list, I think it's five or six points, maybe more, um, of, like big things that we have in common. And obviously the main thing is like monotheism and um, we believe in a God of justice and different things. And, and part of me is like, yeah, I can see if, if you're if his experience or someone else's experience of going to um, Palestine or the Holy land or somewhere in there and meeting all of these, um, you know, meeting people who are Islam or follow Islam and they're really open, not, not to the point that they're going to convert, but they're friendly. Mm -hmm. I could see how, um, how it would be fairly easy to say like they're almost like our like yeah they're our brothers and we we have a lot of the same beliefs but then you hear about all these stories of like for the most part most of the, most Muslims maybe not U.S. Muslims but most Muslims are very anti-Catholic and and anti-Jew like more so anti-Jew and mm. and then it seems to be like okay that can't be true at all so is there do you think that there is a large sect of um islamic believers that actually are either open to christianity or at least aren't violent or do you think the majority of them probably are violent or maybe like maybe they're not actively like committing acts of terrorism but they wouldn't want to sit down with a catholic or a christian or even a jew Uh, i mean american muslims would be a different case um because they do live with us and it's different there um I know, like, my first experiences with Muslims was actually at our house when we have a rental, um, and they stayed there, and they were very, like, it was a very positive experience of Mm -hmm. Islam, Um, but, again, it's hard to say. It's like, well, what is Orthodox Islam? Um, Like, even with Philos, I did this post for them on social media talking about the difference between Islamic martyrdom and Christian martyrdom. It's like... Well, outside of like jihad or like terrorists, those cases, like they don't really have any other kind of radical Islam. So it's hard to say where it's like, okay, the ones who aren't trying to just kill people or kill Christians or Jews or Western Mm -hmm. Americans or Europeans, um, are they just not like fulfilling 
their faith. It's hard to say. Because um, I think a lot of them, ultimately, like, they have a conscience, and they would be against that. But I know in the Near East, there's definitely a lot of um, indoctrination or, right, that is kind of what they're taught. Um, but they probably just, they don't really have that much engagement. I mean, they're taught to hate the West. They're taught to hate Israel and the Jewish people. Um, so in my experience, I've met a lot who are friendly, but um, that's usually mm-hmm. just in America or in Israel itself, ones who are um, Muslims who are is- Israeli. So in those cases, it's it, like, you yeah. just don't, you don't talk to the guys who are trying to kill you. So it's hard <laughs> yeah. to say like how many of them right. are, are out there and how many would actually want to sit down and talk to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had conversations just at like, pizza parlors here in virginia and is muslim and we're just talking about god and things like that and it's right. like 11 o'clock at night right before they're closing um, mm-hmm. and so i've had almost just as much muslim engagement here in the united states as i have over in the near east and then a lot of the muslims you'll meet like there are ones who are working for peace um but i guess you wouldn't call them like radical muslims so it's really hard yeah. to say um and that's something i want to get more into because um, we had that kind of engagement with them but for me just trying to understand them theologically mm-hmm. um, that's something as of this year that I, I want to get into more and just understanding their faith right. um, yeah because it seems like for Catholics I mean there's you know lots of division even just within Catholicism then you expand that to Protestantism and trying to understand the different sects of Protestantism but if you expand even further I feel like for the most part I don't know if Catholics really know how to approach Jews mm-hmm. like because most of them, if they're not Orthodox, they don't know that much about their faith. And then it's like, okay, well, I can teach you about Catholicism, but it's not really a like give and take. Right. Or you have people who are just like staunch Orthodox, like really like solid Jews. And that's, that's great that they're, that they're, you know, that deep in their belief, but it does create a barrier because you have the whole, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. And you're like, right. all right, well, we, we kind of believe that we like more or less, we took over your faith. I mean, that's not exactly, that's a little bit harsh, but like that's kind of what happened, right? There's the fulfillment of the old covenant. And so from a theological perspective, it's messy, at least just in terms of how to like approach yeah. that. It's a very, Even though it's I very think sensitive. That, I think yeah. that there is a path forward. And I think many people have, have done it successfully. Whereas with like with Islam, like, yeah, you read a book, like ecumenical jihad you're like okay well maybe we can go out and convert the 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 ones who aren't orthodox i think there has to be a lot of martyrs for that to happen right but it's and it seems and maybe that's true in the states like if they come to the states and they want to live peacefully and they're starting schools maybe they'll never convert but they probably won't i I don't really see it being very likely that they're going to commit these huge acts of terrorism like they're just happy to be in the states yeah i think that's probably probably 99 percent true this is yeah this but is then there's other up. books and you're like you know like sword and the prophet and there's a lot of other books on islam and it, the thesis of i think that's by serge Trif, trifkovic or something and th- that entire book is like yeah basically if, if any unless they're open to changing their faith there's no way you're going to be able to agree with them because ultimately yeah. it's going to come down to a few things and they're willing to die for those beliefs and right. so well and i think the yeah. perspective a lot of them get is they see the west and they see um like lgbtq mm-hmm. all that stuff just like very anti just traditional faith stuff so i think they would have a respect like if you're a traditional catholic they'd be like oh that's not what we learned at all mm-hmm. um and this would be of course the people who think that the west has just completely lost it um they like yeah it's it's getting there <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but but that even that's the kind of work of philos is like okay judaism islam like there's these big theological things but 
we're one of the three monotheistic faiths, like we take faith and family seriously. Like just again, in terms of like human things, like we have lots of kids, we care about like our religion, like keeping holy days, things like that, celebrating that. Um, yeah, there's this, there's this weird projection where it's hard to understand Islam because right. It's kind of as like, are you one of the, people who are just are you a good guy or a bad guy (laughs) so it's hard to say but but like that's just something again i want to get into more Mm -hmm. myself um well and like and as you said like there's i've ran into local muslims or you know going to different job sites where you're working at someone's house and they're muslim and they make that clear not to be threatening but it'll come up pretty easily i mean you're not really supposed to talk about they don't separate faith and politics either right because because for us we have church and state separation of that right um but they don't have anything like even if they're like, oh, we don't want to kill you. They're kind of like, well, we want Sharia law to be enforced. If you're I think if you're a like devout Muslim, yeah, you want Sharia law. You want the caliphate. Yeah. Um, turn the whole world into a caliphate. Right. Um, and depending on what strand or which tradition of Islam that is, you might be a little more hardcore about that. And you're willing to kill and blow people up if they don't accept that. Um, yeah. But I think most of them would be like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't hate you guys, but um we want to rule and right. implement Sharia law. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because I think in the states, anyone that you meet, maybe they're like secretly really anti-Catholic and anti-America, but I think most of them just want to be here and they're happy doing their thing. And like, there's there's one on on fifty five, mm-hmm. and they're constantly having like open houses and like coffee and donuts. Right. Like they just want people from the community to come and like you know b- you know build up their community. Right, and that's great. Yeah, but then you contrast that with all of the, you know, atrocities that you see constantly in the Middle East where maybe it's a fringe group of Muslims, but you see, you see that constantly like Hamas and like all of these big groups. um, And so it's really difficult to separate like, okay, how, how do you claim to be of the same religion and they're radicalized and you're not? Is that, is there a a difference or are you just trying to keep it under wraps because you're here? Right. Well, Um, this is where it's going to get spicy though, because everything you see going on in liberal colleges and mm-hmm. ivy league colleges a lot of these protests are arab like muslims who have come right. over and um yeah i'm sure they're glad to be here but they sure act like they don't like us like mm. we're the yeah. we are the bad guys to them um free palestine yeah I mean, all of that movement, like yeah. it's, you have this weird confluence where like queers for palestine and again it's because it's all this kind of liberation um mm-hmm. it's all these weird values coming together where right it's because it, at that point it's not even really about faith it's just this whole political agenda mm-hmm. um so it's hard to say because right they the muslims here aren't killing people but they're the ones who are storming the campuses in the streets to yeah like basically supporting hamas but it's like if they're not they're not denying it they're not rejecting it um i mean i've gone to some of those like the pro-palestine rallies i went to one at union station just to counter rally like it was just me and one other guy um and just the so, two of you <laughs> it was just the two of us it was the two of us was and the this total... huge mob of like pro-palestinians um, oh I see. okay got it yeah. and some people i mean of course there's people who are just like throwing us the bird flipping us off um shouting stuff at us but then you got other people who actually came up and wanted to talk hmm. and they're like we disagree heavily on a lot of stuff but they're willing to listen yeah um and that's where it's like okay that's where we can hopefully try to break some ground and try to understand um of course, we totally disagree overall. Like, we support Israel in this, or mm-hmm. they support 
Palestinian people, but they're kind of like, oh, we reject Hamas. But again, I, I won't get into all that. It's going to take up the next two hours. Um, yeah. I don't want to upset too many people. Yeah, <laughs> something I would encourage people to do if, if you're interested in the whole conflict, which it gets really, there's so many different um, takes on it. And there's a lot of different stuff that happened in history. But um, there was two different debates that Ben Shapiro did at Ivy League schools. I think one of them is Harvard. And I want to say it's Harvard and Oxford, but I could be wrong. And he gave like a 30 minute presentation and then did like a Q&A. And some of the people that came up were just like, didn't really know anything and didn't really ask mm-hmm. a good question and he would um he would try to push them on issues and it was clear that they didn't know but then you had other people who were genuinely like i you know i immigrated from there and i like i thought that the jewish presence was bad but tell me why i'm wrong and so there were people that were open-minded but he gives a really good rundown of the history of um you know the different accords that happened like mm-hmm. the different people that are in charge how how the you know the jewish area was taken over um all of the different problems that have ensued mm-hmm. and then kind of like where we should be as an american like we don't need to necessarily say that we'll always back um israel and everything right. but we are an ally of them and, and here's how we should support them and here's where you should be politically so um i mean and there's a lot of stuff like that but i feel like um depending on what conservative media you watch some conservatives are just very like yeah we're, we're pro-israel but they right. couldn't really tell you why yeah and and that's okay it's not bad to just be like well i'm anti-hamas slaughtering people like right. that's a good that's a good basis but um ultimately you if you are going to go out and be that open especially in social media you really need to know why you're pro-israel right um so yeah and, and the yeah. philos is all about that like we are when we like when we say we're Zionists, it's not that we like believe in any sort of end times eschatology or we're trying to get all the Jews back so that like Christ's second coming happens. <laughs> right. Um, it's because we believe the Jewish people have a right to live in their ancestral homeland. That doesn't mean they do it at the cost of totally screwing over the Palestinians, but within the Palestinians they have their own problem because Hamas is the problem. It's not the Palestinian people in general, but it is yeah. Hamas. They're the ones who want to keep fighting like it's in their charter to destroy israel um like how can israel deal with that when it's like right in its doorstep um so how do you but but they're so enmeshed because you have this strong support within the palestinian people for hamas but they might not technically be hamas um so they're they still hate you as an enemy but they're not hamas but yeah so again for israel they've been dealing with this for so many years it's like i mean america 9-11 happened and we flew halfway across the world and just blew the crap out of them there like it's but yeah. like no one ever talks about it because we have the power we're in like yeah right israel can like it gets so much critique and it can be critiqued um but it doesn't have the same power that america did but like we can't we didn't do like we were pretty messy like it wasn't like but we have this clear conscience right. because there's not everyone like calling us out on all mm-hmm. the time yeah um so yeah i mean it yeah. all goes back to like we support israel doesn't mean we support certain every policy or that we like who's in office mm-hmm. right now but ultimately we believe the Jewish people have a right to be there and have the state. Um, and if the Palestinian people are willing to work with that and great, but again, you look at the history with all the different accords and all the peace plans and there's this strong, um, rejection of wanting to be at peace because again, there's so many radical groups that have hijacked the Palestinian cause too, um, through just fear and terrorism. Mm. Um, and they Mm. have it right. Their, their mission is to first of all, destroy the Jewish state and then, destroy the west because they want to take yeah. the world it's yeah like they people talk about the jews being called colonialists but then you look at seventh century and it's like wait a minute like what, what what was happening there you guys were all the way in spain like <laughs> yeah um 
So it's yeah, yeah. yeah and I think it's and it's definitely hard to be well informed because especially being Catholic, there's so many Catholic politics going on yeah. that I think it's very easy to just be like, eh, it's a Middle Eastern conflict. Right. Like there's always trouble over there. I'm just gonna clock out and we have the crazy culture um, wars here it's yeah and, and, and i think it is important that. to kind of focus on issues that like that are important to you or that you can change and then whatever those issues are get involved and not to just be like yeah i'm i'm pro um i'm pro israel and i'm pro life and i'm pro this and i'm pro that and then you're not really involved in any of those right. things figure out the thing that you're going to be involved in and if that's just conservative news fine if that's right. um just trying to have different people on your podcast to talk about different ideas. Fine. Like, but, but do that thing and don't act like you accept all of those things, because if you do, then you should be able to defend it. Right. Um, and, and then just get involved where you can, because there's tons of different places that right. need people to be involved. So, um, well, and this goes to your yeah. point earlier about like people having, like if you're a father and you have five kids, like you're not going to be traveling all over the world. I mean, there's some people who can make that work, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it's like you have your responsibility, to your family, this work with Philo's, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like I was just working for them part-time. I had like three part-time jobs at one point. Um, so I was trying to stick it out. Cause I was like, yeah, I want to stay involved with this mission and learn more and keep, keep engaging with it. Um, but I was at the point where I could do that. Um, but I definitely just like, I don't see a lot of Catholics in this space. I'm like, this is something that I find interesting. I think more people should be involved in it and like trying to engage in the space. Um, Cause it does, it's not like the pro-life thing doesn't matter or anything else in the culture wars, but um, I know there's a lot of good people who are fighting that fight. I'm like, okay, well, here's a front that I've seen that's opened up that needs needs work. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely, like what you said, being well informed. Like, I, I mean, as as much news as I I listen to, like just listening to you guys is way more than I I know about. But it's funny because I I kind of feel like I'm not that well informed. Mm. Um, but then I'm kind of like, well, I I kind of take it for granted just because I'm in the space mm. that people like I start talking about these things and people are like, what are you what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, I guess okay. I'm, mm -hmm. I guess I'm. I am that far into it that it, <laughs> like people are just like, who's that? What is yeah. it? Mm -hmm. Like, I know you guys know who Moss is. We're like yeah. the big things, but yeah. um, you'd but be surprised what you should have done at that when you went in protest. You should have brought a map that wasn't labeled of the Middle East. I just be like, what area are you talking about that, right. that mm -hmm. Palestine needs to be? And like, see how many people could even pick the area. Now it is kind of a messy area, so right. maybe there's some. Uh, I don't even know if I could get all of the different areas, but like if you brought a map and they can't d distinguish like Palestine, the Holy Land, Egypt, some of these areas that are like they're well, all if, right if in the same area. If, if they're they Arab, they're Muslim, area, they probably will. But it's going right. to the the campuses, and you have these like liberal, <laughs> tatted, like pink haired, yeah, liberals, and it's like although they just got the slogans and they they they're for, they're for justice, right. and they like they're right. working within like the oppressor mm -hmm. oppressed class structure they where that's they, they see everything through this yeah. notion of who's oppressed and who's not mm -hmm. and if you're being oppressed you're in the you're in the clear you're good yeah. you're the good guy isn't that interesting like i feel like throughout all of human history and like america's like the prime example of this is seeking to not be oppressed and to be free and to have freedoms and then like 200 years later everyone's trying to be oppressed again right and not not just like stating we're oppressed and we want to get away from that it's saying i'm oppressed i'm happy to stay there and you're terrible for being the oppressor right you're like what and sometimes it's, it's so it's not even direct it's not it's like it's a battle I'm, for who's I, the greater victim who's the yeah like, and i think some of it's legitimate like if you know if, if you know let's say like a sibling of yours if you're a black person and you have a sibling that was killed by a cop right. i could understand you being really anti-cop because you're directly involved but that would be true kind of regardless of the color of the cop you'd just be right. anti-cop because of a thing that happened to you but to just be like, well, I'm I'm black, and everyone's saying that I'm oppressed, therefore reparation. It's like right. what that? Why are you seek like? Why don't you seek to 
to not be oppressed, but right. people are just happy being oppressed and being where they're at. And I mean, really, it's just everyone wants a handout at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah. No one wants to work Very hard. Lazy, yeah. uh, everyone's lazy. Yeah. So it's funny because I'm, <clears throat> this is kind of switching tracks here. It's related, but switching tracks, but I've been reading Rene Girard. Um, and he, he goes into a lot into scapegoating and um, mimetic conflict. There's it's a lot of philosophy, but what time period is he from? He's 70s, 60s, late 20th century. Okay. Um, French thinker. He converted to Catholicism um, while he was getting involved with this work, but he looks at myth a lot of the time, mm. and he looks at it from this anthropological lens. Mm. And um, I actually just wrote about this on the Substack, The Broken Medical. I think it's it, the email went out this evening, but um, I was writing on his, his work. But he talks about victimhood because what the Gospels do, he was comparing it in Gospels and myth, um, they reveal kind of the violent nature of mankind and how it's this collective scapegoating where there's this victim but within the myth that's kind of covered up and the violence against them is justified like even with all the norse or the greek gods there's this kind of like this whole play of envies and desires mm -hmm. going on between them and but there's always some victim but the violence against them is just, mm -hmm. justified mm -hmm. like it might just be a, a human and it doesn't matter like you don't really hear about them they were just kind of like chef yeah um, but within the Gospels and with Christ and the crucifixion, it reveals the scapegoating, mimetic, violent nature of man and how it mob violence against like the innocent victim. Mm. Um, but post Christ now, there's the reverse now where it's victimhood, like the world has come to, it's this kind of like ultra bastardized for lack of a better word, form of Christianity where yeah. it only sees victims. Now it takes the gospel and perverts it where it says, okay, we know that this victimhood status is powerful because mm -hmm. there's truth to it. Like people are oppressed, but now they, they use it to their advantage where it says they, they know that there's this kind of, especially in the West, this sensitivity towards the victim. Mm -hmm. And it's a Christian thing that we get that mm -hmm. from Christianity. It didn't exist mm -hmm. before that. It didn't come from any other religious tradition. Um, but now you have this, victimhood status that's really come up and just been totally abused and the problem is there yeah. are still actual there there are real victims right. but now we have this whole game of white right. cry wolf where everyone's a victim everyone's a victim it's like well, who are the real victims yeah. but again no one's informed so they just see victim and they're like yeah. oh yeah okay we'll, we'll support that yeah which is really sad because the biggest example of actually being oppressed and actually being a victim is abortion because that's like what what can you think of that's more defenseless or who can you think of that's more defenseless than an unborn child right no one like you can't i mean animals they're not humans like right. maybe the elderly but even with the elderly like they at least could put up a fight potentially right. whereas an unborn baby and and no one's on board for that mm -hmm. no one's on board for and and the reason for that is and i heard a podcast the other day they were talking about this part of the actually maybe it was jordan peterson he was talking about part of the victim mentality is this huge rise in um, worship of the self, right? Right. There's no sense of identity in another person, um, or in your family or in your community. It's all about the self. So it's whatever pleases me, whatever makes me feel good, whatever, you know, helps my passions feel fulfilled. And because of that, then, well, then it totally makes sense to be pro-choice because right. why would you put yourself in a bad spot or put your girlfriend in a bad spot or whatever? Right. Because if your good or her good is higher, then that gets elevated. So it doesn't really matter what the clump of cells is right yeah um i actually i don't know if it was jordan peterson or if this i think it was a different podcast there's a virginia congressman named nick freitas or 
I think Freitas, and um, he's famous for being on Instagram and like having a mug and like saying oh, yeah, saying yeah. something and then like taking a big right. sip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's a really cool guy, but he had a he was on a podcast about uh, like fatherhood, and he was saying part of the reason why men nowadays are so confused about fatherhood is because they don't have an example of it. Mm-hmm. And he was saying in Christianity, we at least like regardless of your relationship with your biological father or a father figure in your life, you at least have God the father to look at. And so you have an identity in God um, as being the creator, the protector, the establisher. Um, And he was saying that, you know, lack of God leads to lack of identity. But even if you take God out of the picture, that's why crime rate for men or even women that don't have fathers in the picture is much higher. That's Mm -hmm. why high school dropouts, I think it's like 85% of the time, don't have a father in the picture. And so, uh, you know, Catholics who don't have a father that practice religion are three times more likely to not be Catholic after the age of 16. And it, right. it goes on and on. And he was like, a huge, it's just a huge crisis that we don't, we don't know like who we are. We're lost. And I, I think he went on a little tangent about how like women, it's slightly different, but he was like for men specifically, like in many ways, that's why the military is so helpful and healthy for, for people is because you you get a sense of identity. I can do this. I'm promoted to this. I can accomplish this. And right. you have a sense of, like, you can set goals and you can be disciplined. Um, and I think that's why people like Jocko Willick, um, Jordan Peterson, all of these, I mean, even Andrew Tate, to a certain degree, even though I don't agree with a lot of his stuff, are popular because they're giving men a direction. Right. Um, and that, that seems to be that something that, that y'all are trying to do at the at the Broken Binnacle, which is kind of my poor segue into what is the Broken Binnacle? <laughs> Um, and yeah, what caused you to start it and impressive. That was and what is a binnacle? <laughs> I know I should do ad reads for the daily wire. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I guess I'll start with what a binnacle is. Well, hold on before you do that. Do either of you know, I know what it is oh, because yeah. I listened to a podcast and you explained it, um, in preparation for this one, but do either of you know what a binnacle is? I definitely is? know what it is, but I'm going to have Brian, um, okay. flounder. <laughs> I, I also know what it is, but I was hoping that that James would flounder, so... Okay. <laughs> no, I have no idea. I actually don't know. It's either. actually really cool. I really like that you guys picked that. Um, I've only met one person who knows, or who what knew what it was. it was, and it was my uh, uncle. Um, so, yeah, we started, well... I started a Substack because I kind of just discovered Substack and I was trying to just write more in general. Didn't originally plan to like make it a group thing, but I discovered Substack and created one and didn't really do much writing on it. And this was only like a month or two. And then I got the idea. I was like, well, I don't really want to be writing by myself. First of all, I want accountability Mm. with an audience, but also with a community of writers where we're actually building off each other and growing together. Um, but also too, like, I'm not like, no one's going to really want to listen to me. Right. So it'd be a better idea to actually get a group of young writers where it's like, even if you don't like one of us specifically, there's this cool thing where it's like, Oh, it's young Catholic writers who aren't, we might not be experts on anything, but we're well educated for the most part. And we're interested in all these different topics. Um, so building that community and allowing that to be kind of the draw, the attraction, these young Catholic guys writing on politics, not really politics as much, but or at least not in a journalistic way, but writing on faith, culture, um, religion, all of those things. So we got together for a meeting, and we were trying to come up with a name, and we wanted it to be something fragmented, broken, kind of just the idea that, like, I guess kind of self-deprecating in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were thinking, like, the fragmented quill or the pen, like, something like that, like, righty, something that sounded, um, I don't know, penmanship 
esque something like that literary yeah. yeah yeah but you also want it to be adventurous mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like we kept kind of coming back to the nautical theme of like being out at sea mm-hmm. on adventure but also even like the bark of peter that's kind of a theme within the church saint Teresa lives you speaks about like the world is not your ship or the the world is not your home and it's a sh- it is a ship um but the bark of peter being like the boat of peter and christ mm. always he preached from it all the time mm, so there's yeah. a s- symbolism of the church being the bark of peter mm. um mm. or with peter going across the sea of galilee in a way or just across the ocean all right we're changing the podcast name to the bark of peter right. <laughs> pretty cool yeah no i've always loved that yeah. symbolism too so that was something that kind of stuck with me um yeah. and there's this romanticism romanticism to it I'm, i just tend to be romantic when it comes to that but we wanted to do something like that something nautical something broken and I was just going through nautical terms and I came across the binnacle and the alliteration was great. Like I was going through the B listed words um, and I looked at what it was and I was like, huh, that's perfect. So a binnacle is a box um, by the wheel of the ship with the compass and a light to see it at night. Hmm. So it's, it's what's guiding you during the night at sea. Hmm, right. So it was like this idea of like, we're the broken binnacle because we're the box containing the faith within us. Um, but we still believe in the light of the faith and the compasses, like the compass that we have of um, having a sense of direction of where we're going, but also it works together with our faith, um, it, kind of the faith and reason aspects yeah. to it as well. Um, so I brought it up the next That's meeting awesome. and all the guys were like, yeah, oh, wow. Okay. Look at it. Like we had spent That's so awesome. long talking about it. And like, it was like, I spent 10 minutes looking at nautical terms a little later and then just told them right away. And it was awesome. like, there's this kind of hesitation, like, what is a binnacle? But everyone's just like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Like, and it, it worked out. Um, so from there, yeah, I just started writing. How many guys are on the Substack? Six guys. So at first I pulled on um, Joe, my twin brothers on it. And then all of them are Christian guys. Um, and you would know them. So Matthew McShirley, John Briggs, um, John Jacob Ison, and then Joe, my brother. It was us five at first. And I'm not even still sure why I chose those five exactly. Like someone like Matthew McShirley, he's just, he's, he's so well-read, really mm-hmm. smart. Same with John Briggs. Um, but also Joe and John, like, I just, I don't know. I, I guess maybe it was, You felt like you had I to. I like to think yeah. it's the Holy Spirit working too, or it's kind of yeah. like this, it wasn't even feeling like I had to, but I just knew they would be interested to mm-hmm. some degree as well. Um, like they're some of my other buddies. It's like, I'm sure they'd love to be a part of this, but they just wouldn't be as engaged. Like they don't really want to write about faith and religion mm-hmm. um so ended up being s5 and at the same time i was doing some stuff with peter Cermak, who had started mm-hmm. his own kind of blog it wasn't on substack but um i had written one or two things for him but our thing kind of just built up and we had something going so he he came to us and was like we talked about a few things and he, we just decided that he was going to join us um so he came on board and he's been great because he's much more he has the math background mm-hmm. at Chris and he's much more like analytical and like rational. Like Joe and I just didn't like blabber on. We're just like <laughs> more romantic and like, it seems like we're just ranting instead of actually giving like a rational thesis and essay. So it's, it's great. Cause we all work together in these different ways. Um, some of the guys don't like Peter, he wouldn't really write poetry, but I, I'm the one who probably writes the most poetry and just more of the creative writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know the actual like essay writing, like, writing a thoughtful essay is what I need to get good at as well, because it's something I want to do. But so it's great having someone like Peter or Mac, who's like, he's, he's been, I think one of the most like passionate about like just taking it seriously and like being timely on things. Hmm. Um, 
and it's kind of it's changed a little bit at first when we first started it was like yeah if you have something you want to post just throw it up there throw it up there and we were probably getting like a post every month mm. um and most of it was just poetry one of the guys would be like yeah i'll write a poem and just throw it up there <laughs> um and then we started to get a little more serious about it um and we started doing this writing structure where we had to get a post out every week and we just went through the cycle of all six guys where it's like okay there's whatever this month and there's four weeks so line up these four guys and then the next month we just start with the other two guys who hadn't written and then we just restart um so you have six months to write an article it's not that hard and you get to do whatever you want is it? yeah and you could just write on whatever you wanted um nice. and but even then like people wouldn't post but so but we weren't taking ourselves that seriously it's not like we we're like making money off of it so i wasn't gonna like yeah be, unlike us right? yeah i was gonna be <laughs> whipping the guys for not getting it um right but we did decide to actually start finding ourselves if you didn't post by the okay. date you had to pay the broken venicle a certain amount of money um so you were nice. raking it in for a few months nice. well <laughs> I, nice john briggs i'm gonna out him here he's like he's like all our money comes from him uh, like, very well funded if you knew him in school yeah he's like just he would write his papers the every paper probably the night before um didn't matter how long it was and he got better grades than me um so yeah so we started that and it's been helpful but again it's like just unless you're actually like really focused and like taking it seriously it's going to catch up too right um so i've definitely paid the fine a couple of times and i'm the one who started it um so this year though we changed up um with the monthly themes so there's actually a little more structure to it okay. where you actually have this kind of layout for the next three or four months so you can look ahead and be like okay our general theme for example this month was mythology um say in two three months time it's going to be on um some historical topic sure you can actually like you could start coming across articles or you can actually start reading on it instead of before it would have been like oh i have to write in three weeks let me just try to come up with something on the spot yeah um let me just wait to be inspired um so this there's a structure where it gives you some formation and you're all generally writing on the same topic so you can kind of work together and there's a little more engagement uh, but also gives you the structure and a little bit more of a playing field there's still freedom because mythology that's pretty broad um, like Joe just wrote on Jungian psychology in within mythology. Um, hmm. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, you're picking a mythological text and you have to give some sort of analysis of it. Yeah. Um, it can be pretty broad. But then your reader feels like you're also like growing within like that month. Right. But also that month, there's this consistent theme where right. it's not just like this Monday you're reading about identity politics and the next one you're reading about um mythology yeah yeah mythology something <laughs> Maybe, like yeah, that yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's, math I think, and mythology <laughs> who knows maybe yeah. some people like like that where it was like mm. you just don't know you're gonna get right um, but i think it's still pretty broad you, you still don't really know what you're gonna get mm. like the topics are pretty diverse still even yeah. after this first month do you kind of have so i was looking at it earlier and it, maybe you're like shying away from this but it looked like you had several different categories i think one of them is the flying jib and you've got like different you know nautical themes which you know point aside is is cool just to divide it up <laughs> in different ways but do you try to um because obviously anyone who signed up for the Substack is going to get the email so when they click right. on it it's not going to it's just going to redirect them to the article so they'll be mm -hmm. able to read it either way um but for people searching if they kind of find like a i mean obviously if they if they like one of you as an author they can search your name and just pull up your articles right but if they like a particular type of writing is it because i didn't really click on it and look into it enough to know 
how it's categorized like do you have like a poetry section and then like creative mm-hmm. writing and then like more book analysis type things is that how it's divided or yeah is it that, more arbitrary? that one's definitely more for us to just for our own internal structure as well and then also just it's yeah. optically it's nice for people to be like oh this is the theology section this is the philosophy and history section um but it's funny that you're bringing that up because we're changing that around as of okay. this, like with the monthly themes, we're just going to have the broken binnacle, kind of that general <clears throat> subsect, and then different tabs will keep like the poetry and creative writing one, which is the flying jib. Um, okay. And of course we tried to choose like parts of the ship that were yeah. appropriate for mm-hmm. whatever it was. The mizzen mast is the mast that you would go on to look behind the ship. So that was philosophy, history. Mm-hmm. Um, we were joking around for the longest time about doing something with the poop deck. Um, where it'd be of course whatever like just political articles yeah, yeah like um, the anchor is just topics that drag you down right, <laughs> right. pop culture yeah yeah um but we, we're starting to break away from that now so we still have an internal okay. structure again with themes and then it's also going to always be revolving um this is kind of some behind the scenes stuff but like it, it doesn't really matter if people know or not it's more just for us to have that structure where yeah. you're rotating between uh literature history philosophy and theology so it's going to rotate Mm. within like the themes itself there's this overarching structure where every month is based like there's this meta meta theme kind of Mm. within it so mythology was supposed to be like literature Mm -hmm. um this next month is history so um spoiler it's gonna be on the reformation Um, we'll probably lose all our protestant subscribers (laughs) um i I feel like if they stuck with us this long they know what to expect um with uh, work at the, fu- at, I'm sorry, Philos. 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 Ah, sorry, I, I messed was, it up for you. I was forever. saying the other one. Um, d- was that a, um, like a spark to start this? Like, all, like all that, like all that conversation or all that stuff you were studying, or was it kind of like you had these two ideas? You were within, you were working within this, and then you're like, I want to write, and it just so happened that all that stuff kind of came together. Or they were separate. Okay. Um, so I was. Yeah, I started to get involved with Felix before I started it. Okay. So it would have been the fall of 2021, and then I started the Substack in 20, early 2022, again, about two years ago. Okay. Um, but those were definitely separate things. Like, cool. I was getting involved with Philos, but that was all new. Um, the Substack, again, I, I think I mentioned this briefly earlier, where it was started because post-Christendom, it was like, okay, it's great, we got this education, but right, right. Um, it's not just a one-and-done thing. It's a whole process it's the beginning of your journey in the intellectual life but also just through your faith faith seeking right. understanding all of that um you don't so, want to stop either so you yeah and i've actually tried that. to like i've been tempted to write about stuff related to my work but right. we want the Substack to be like we don't really want to get into like culture wars or sure. like super political mm. kind of intensive stuff like we want it to okay. be more like again just building something good where people can just kind of get away from all that and like read an interesting article on some historical thing or philosophy or a poem. Um, It's not like we won't talk about like political theory, um, but it's never going to be like, Oh, did you see what Trump said today? Or the latest thing on the Hill? Or did you see this drag show that happened? Um, Like we've never write on anything like that because we want it to be this kind of oasis for people Mm -hmm. to actually just enjoy something good culture, faith. Like it's, Again, it goes to kind of like even a microcosm of what you're asking asking about the Benedict option. It's like we're trying to just build something good 
here like we, we're not trying to like go fight the culture wars right now we're trying right. to just build something good true and beautiful um and allow that to draw people and a lot of it is also evangelical um because just in our age like trying to take advantage of media uh substack has just become a lot bigger these days so trying to just give a defense for the hope that's within us as well um sure you're not like writing on theology per se but people are like we have i mean i know a lot of the subscribers and many of them are protestant just because i know them personally um and they just they enjoy it and it's helped them too like i've had even people who i didn't know like reach out because they read or followed the Substack, and they were kind of like hey like i'd love to like connect with you just because like i i found your Substack through social media because again we're on instagram or um linkedin all of those so they find it through that and then they find the writing and they and they they like it and then mm. um like i've met people who found us just online and i've met them in person um so that's been beautiful to see just even on the evangelical mm. side of right. being able to express our faith and it's like oh okay it's actually doing something yeah. for the church too it is kind of an apostolate yeah i feel like i would have a really hard time separating things that are like that both interest me and that aren't not that you aren't writing about things that are like controversial because clearly you're bringing up top like if you're talking about um a certain philosophy like some people might believe that philosophy or parts of that philosophy so it is controversial in that way but you're not saying um you know like you were saying, you're not really doing like clickbaity news. Mm -hmm. It's more of like overarching, like this is what Carl Jung thought. This is what Dostoevsky thought. Right. This is what, and you're not saying, and here's how it applies to everyday things now, because you can see that Trump, you know, right. You're not doing that. Um, but do you, do you find yourself having a hard time separating those things? Cause I think that I would start writing about something that interests me, like a painting or something like, okay, this painting is really cool. Why is this painting cool? You go to the history of the painting and whatever, but then, uh, but then I feel like immediately my mind would be like, how is this applicable to every day? Well, we have a downfall. No one knows what art is. And you right. go into this rant of like modern art sucks. <laughs> right. And may maybe that's not a bad thing, but, right. but then you start getting controversial there. So how do you, how do you like present things that are true without getting into like things that are maybe, maybe have more consequences, right? Like how do you just present, um, I guess something that kind of came to mind is like a really easy thing to write on would be, uh, JP2's letter to, letter to artists. Mm -hmm. This is artists for art, anyone who's like interested in the arts, whether you're an actor, or painter, or writer. Here's a letter. Here's some like you know quotes from it, and you could just present it as that. Right. And I feel like that's kind of what you guys are doing. And I feel like, but for the writer, I think the tendency would be to say, why hasn't Pope Francis said anything about this? Right. Or like, and it immediately kind of gets political. So how do you how do you like step back from that and try to just like pick a good topic and keep it non controversial in that way? <clears throat> Um, it's a good question. It's not like I, I wouldn't say intentionally trying to do that. Like every time I'm writing an article, it's like, how do I not get like, mm -hmm. um, hot topic kind of like clickbaity. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's just one is just being well-researched, but also just in, like being interested in it because it's just an edifying topic, not mm -hmm. because you're trying to like prove a point. Like, yeah. again, I've written, like, it's funny to bring up modern art because there was one point where some of the articles we wrote were on like modern art but it's not like we're just trashing modern art it's kind of like okay what are the goods in it that we can see um kind of trying to again wrestle with it as opposed to just completely like rejecting it out yeah. outright and being like there's a reason people are drawn to it why is that um so i think it's just looking at it from 
we're not academic, but just like we actually like we care about our faith and there's things we are very convicted by, but also like we're we're not trying to like change the world by saying that mm. modern art sucks. Um yeah. and first of all right. it's not like we're just kind of preaching the choir, like especially like at the point we're at. It's not like we're mm. there's no need for us to like rant against something because everyone would be like, Yeah, we already we already agree with that. Like where do you yeah. Do you think that there's a benefit to preaching to the choir? One thing that Matt Walsh said, it was a while ago, but he, he made this really funny point. Someone made a comment. They're like, Matt, you have to stop talking about like the trans issue. You're preaching to the choir. And he was like, well, what do you think that saying even means? Like, it literally means like you're the priest or the preacher preaching to the choir. Of course they know these things, but it's your job to reiterate it and keep them strong. So do you think that there's like a benefit to preaching to the choir? Like to kind of remind people? Of yeah, like, well, that's what I think if you're actually in the culture <clears throat> board, it's like, yeah, you need mm-hmm. to actually be like, getting the troops like they've heard these kind of speeches before but they need your the, like the leaders the people they look yeah. to to actually like pump them up but what we're doing isn't isn't that like it is more just trying to create something beautiful and that will draw people to it, as opposed to like just trying to like cram it down mm-hmm. people's throats and being like listen to us we're right about this yeah um just trying to come from it again with a more just intellectually humble approach where it's like if we got into culture wars yes i would be very like argumentative about this stuff but like we're we're for the most part staying on topics that it doesn't really matter like it's not like we're writing on like intro in vitro fertilization mm-hmm. or yeah. something again that's culture wars it's like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna be shoving something down your throat because i'm writing yeah. on like this one paragraph within norse mythology and like right. therefore we should uh i don't know throw all the trans people in prison or something like something just super radical and political. Yeah. It's like, uh, like even if say I wrote, like I've been getting into the civil war lately. I've been like reading about Thomas Jackson, things like that. Things where it's like, Oh, that's not like PC, like where you're kind of learning, like the civil war, everything is about like just slavery. It's like, yeah. well, no, it wasn't. But like we would try to say, if I was writing on Jackson, it's like, okay, I wouldn't make it like the civil war wasn't about slavery. I'd be like, well, that that's a big overarching thing, but I'm going to talk about the life of Jackson. Right. And, and focus here's, on here's that. what he thought. Right. Here's yeah. what he thought. And like, here's his story mm. and it's going to play into that. But it's not like I'm saying like, see, the civil mm. war wasn't about slavery or the civil war was only about slavery. It's just like, I'm talking about Thomas Jackson. Mm. Like it's easy to kind of just get sucked into these, like, again, mm. the binary extremes between any topic. Cause yeah, I think, and I think that's the problem with so much of writing and the political writing that you guys like, you have to pick a side. You yeah, have to pick really. something. It's like, it's so divisive. No, I just want yeah. it. Like, I'm going to talk about this thing or like, you don't have to have some political twist mm-hmm. to it. You can just be like, mm-hmm. here, here's my thought on it. And it doesn't have to be like, and here's why you should vote Republican. At right. the end of it. There's no ulterior yeah. motive for you, which right. is great because I think what you just said about like, we're just going to write on something that's true and objective. And what are people attracted to? Well, it doesn't even have to be objective. It's kind of just like, Sure. Like, even us guys among the Baroque and Binnacle might disagree about it. Like, what I was writing about with Gerard, like, Peter Shermack takes a lot of, like, he's like, nah, I don't I don't agree with that. And I'm kind of like, oh, I think Gerard has something there. Mm. Um, so it's like, yeah, yeah, of course we're going to disagree on that. But, like, it's not like we're This isn't trying... like papal infallibility or right, something. Right, exactly. We're not writing on something like that. We're, <clears throat> it, it's, mm. we're in this playing field where we have space and flexibility. Um, and I think, again, it's just generally, like, our goal isn't to convince people to vote republican or vote democrat the goal is to just write an edifying Mm. article where they can walk away and be like oh wow i learned something that was like 
good for my soul or like it doesn't even have to be like something spiritual but like yeah you're learning about this cool story within history or could have been a poem or it could have been some sort of um spiritual exegesis on the song of songs something like that yeah and it's interesting to think about the different roles because like we you know you definitely need people like hosts of the daily wire people on fox news senators congressmen whatever going and saying this particular border policy is good for x reason or bad for x reason um but you also need people who are just like yeah tolkien is great and like here's why and does that really play a big part in the border policy not really but if that isn't your calling is to be involved in that the ability to kind of i think it's really good to be able to like zoom out and let go of that and see the bigger picture and be like what are some of like the really deep uh hu- like th- human themes things that have to do with like uh prudence or human nature fallen human nature right. that we see in this literary work or that we see in this poem or this song um, and i think that sadly there's not many places nowadays or organizations that do that right because like you were saying everyone needs to pick a side and you're not going to pick the side of evil and pro-abortion and pro this and pro that so you're going to be kind of the, the counterculture and we need to bring back the latin mass and we need, and, and those things are good depending on your role right, but you're not doing it because you think that like it might be more just because like you think you're kind of weaponizing the latin mass then it's kind of like well did you do like were you actually that much of a latin, ma- latin mass person before or is it just kind of like no it's actually just going to save the culture it's like right. whoa 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 like that that's, yeah again the yeah. wrong mindset right just this reactionary yeah. phase and it's hard not to do that like it's right. I think most of us, that's our first reaction yeah. is... And I, I, I think that, like, kind of on the other side, I think there's also tons of people who aren't reactionary enough, yeah. like Catholics specifically, who are just like, well, that's what the diocese said, and well, that's what... And it's like, maybe at the end of the day, you aren't actually going to do anything. I'd rather be passionate But, like, you should be, like, on top of it, like, write your bishop and, like, talk to the priests and right. talk to people in your community and start, like, start doing things, be active and, like, act like you care. You know, this is an important, this is an important part of life, but I... I think kind of on the flip side, it is, I think much healthier, like mentally to be able to just like pick up a good book and read it or watch a TV show or or watch a movie. And even if it wasn't perfect, just to be able to say like, there was a lot of good in that and then like be good with it and not have to be like the critic all the time. Like, well, there was this, like they said one bad word. So I'm not right. It's like, (laughs) okay, well, but it's just even like, take it with a grain of salt. Going back to the things that make us all human. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we all like, we can, appreciate that and a goal of ours of course would be like introduce these things to people who maybe haven't been introduced them before and pull them in but again because we're trying to like introduce something that is true good and beautiful like it's it's so overused but it's true it's just like trying to do it that way and most people when they read our stuff it's like they can probably guess like the way we'd vote if you're reading us but like we're not gonna force that down people's throat because that doesn't really matter for what we're doing here it's like yeah we're writing on hey here's this like this great essay i found by this great catholic thinker and it's like you just kind of bring that out and flush it out and it's this like mm-hmm. beautiful thing on again like something like joseph peeper and you're talking about leisure yeah and people are like oh i i've never read him and i've never had a catholic education or whatever but yeah that's beautiful that's awesome mm-hmm. um yeah, so I think it's just coming from that approach, just starting with, yeah. like, kind of ground zero, building up, um, not trying to man the stations, because there's a time and place for that. But again, it's also trying to create something good. Yeah, and it does seem like you're, 
you're doing a good job of trying to, um, without being overly controversial, initiate conversation. Even if, maybe they're emailing you and asking you about an article, but hopefully people are reading it and it gives them something to think about. Mm-hmm. And if you're making people think about mm-hmm. the thing that they're reading, whether they disagree or not, like that's a good thing. If you can have someone read a poem, you're like, huh, yeah, that's, I, I agree with that. Like I totally get what he's trying to say and trying to right. convey. That's a really good thing and because be, I think we're all so programmed to like, if it's longer than a 30 second video, we can't watch it. And if right. it's not flashy and doesn't have good sound, we can't watch it. And it's like, just to be able to, to let go of that <clears throat> and maybe, maybe just like have, have an open mind so that you can learn something new. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then if you disagree with it, you're welcome to reach out to the editor. You're welcome to, you know, right. but hopefully it spurs conversation because that's what conversion is about, right? Conversion is a conversation. Conversion isn't just, here's a principle, believe it. Right. That's never going to convert everyone. That's mm-hmm. why Christ taught in parables, you know. Most um, people just work through processes. It is mm-hmm. walking with people because, like, you might give a, a perfectly rational, rational and, like, cogent argument for the faith. Yeah. And they might be like, okay, rationally, I get that. But, like, there's so much more than just rational, mm-hmm. like, oh, the argument made sense. I'm going to be Catholic now. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. yeah. there's culture. Like, it's a whole confluence of things. Um, like I, I love John Henry Newman and I've, I've, I read his, his biography, the Apologia, um, and that where it's like, he kind of knew Catholicism was true way before he converted, mm-hmm. but it was like, mm-hmm. and the same was with Chesterton as well. He mm-hmm. like rationally, he's kind of like, yeah, I kind of believe it's true, but there's this whole cultural force. You have to get all, just all the different things in your life where it's like, yeah, again, it's, it's hard to make that, that leap. Even when you've kind of rationally come to the point, there's still the rest of the man that has to go along with it and deal with all those things. So yeah. trying to get people where it's like, okay, yeah, we might rationally convince them, but also trying to evoke something from them because we're trying to write on something beautiful. So it doesn't even have to like rationally convince them, but it softens, starts to soften them to what we're convicted about and the truth of what we believe as well. Is there a kind of like a larger mission that you have in mind for the broken binnacle? I know that you've done a couple of like, I think you, I don't know if you call them bourbon and binnacle events. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, where you like invite other people to come in. Is that, is that an event where you're just trying to like promote the Substack, or is that like, we're looking for more writers. We kind of want, we want to branch out and like get into other, get into other things and have more people write. Or is that just to encourage people to start their own Substack? Like what, what does that look like? The Substack <clears throat> itself is kind of the, the heart of it and like the foundation um, but it's not really to like get more writers. If people wanted to be like write a guest essay, then that'd be great. Um, mm-hmm. But like us, the guys who started it, like we're trying to do something with each other as well. Where it, it is mm-hmm. kind of this community, this more intimate community where we're engaging these ideas and like we won't just like invite a bunch of people in and like have a bunch of writers because then you kind of lose some of the identity. Like you do want to keep it small enough. It's like Chris and there's a reason they want to say small because you can keep this like clear identity, this tight knit community. So even if among us six writers, like we wouldn't want to have 30 writers, then right. it's like maybe there's a certain point where we'd want to branch out and start something like that. But where we are right now, we're just not at that point. So something like the bourbon with the binnacle, um, I guess I should give some background on that. It's basically just, we call it bourbon with the binnacle and it's a guy's event. Um, first of all, it's six guys who run the broken binnacle. So it's just easy for us to minister to the male community but everyone comes and has to have a poem ready or a speech or something um, but we also send out a short reading that people have to do mm-hmm. so it could be on something with an education 
or it could be something more literary. Um, but you get together and it's there's bourbon, um, ho- like just of course. We, we, yeah, yeah we have it. We have it a um, undisclosed location, um, <laughs> and we just hang out for a little bit, have some drinks, chat, and then we get together. And it's usually like no more than 20 to 25 guys. Um, it's something we like to build out, but you get together and we talk about the article we sent out. We kind of read through it and discuss it for 30 minutes. Um, then we take a little break and then everyone gets back together and everyone has to get up and recite a poem. You don't have to memorize it. Like it's very, like there's not a lot of commitment. And it's not, did, do you require people to write a poem or you just need to you find a You can do either, poem. but they, like, okay. they, they at least just have to find a poem mm, and okay. recite it. Like it can be, three lines like it doesn't have to be a long poem like you have to get up and recite a poem the sunset right like I, well what's is it um the red well, wagon Walt, yeah yeah someone actually did that <laughs> once yeah um i don't think that's a poem but that's another yeah that's a topic for another time yeah not not my taste but um everyone there yeah. has to get up stand in front of everyone and recite nice. a poem okay um or is it and, a wheelbarrow i forget the red wheelbarrow or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah we, we all know that. you're talking yeah, about yeah, Walt Whitman. in her class yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I think it's imagism. That's the poem, right. poetry that it's called. <laughs> Who uh, knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but the goal of it is to, sure, we can write about culture, but it doesn't really mean anything if we're not trying to live it out. Yeah. So the goal is to, it doesn't even have to be people who are like, oh yes, I'm going to go read poetry. But it's like, okay, you, like a bunch of guys get together and it's just like, we have this whole inheritance from, especially the Western culture and like all of that. A lot of these people have already read, I don't know, Bride's Head and Crime and Punishment, but like, it's also trying to live that out where it's like, there is something evocative. Poetry has to be read and like, it is cool where like, it's just a bunch of guys getting together and you're drinking, smoking and reading poetry and like, there doesn't have to be much more to that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're like, all right, now let's go take over the world. It's kind of just like, yeah. we're just doing something good here right. and right. it's building community, um, but in a positive way where it's like, especially today most guys get together and they're just watching a football game or just playing video games. It's like read poetry, like gay kind of thing. But it's like, (laughs) no, like it's, it's some good stuff. Like it's very, like, but a lot of people like they might, they still might not be into it, but it's like, they love the community aspect of it. So it's like, okay, they come and they'll grudgingly get up and mumble their poem and then sit down. It's like people enjoy it. So it's, it's good. So we'd like to expand on that and actually have more in-person events. So that's more of just closed. We, it's, personal invite because it's just we want it to be more intimate and only guys because guys are going to be a little more shy about getting up and reciting a poem if there's a woman there or... i wrote it about the girl that's here right. so <laughs> everyone yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. walk out but yeah. we would love to do like we're not just trying to be a men's club either we right. want to do there's once we get this writing down a little more we'd like to actually have events where we have speakers come and it's open to the public mm. and it's an hour or two and we have the speaker and some drinks and snacks and again it's community but you're also trying to like elevate it to a certain point where yeah you're having these discussions and the speaker is talking about something on culture or Mm. education or again just trying to raise and elevate the mind and the soul in a way that you're doing it with people as well because i mean we hopefully we're inspiring people to actually get into writing and reading more just by them following the substack but we also want it to be a lived experience where we're yeah. talking about these things together and mm. hearing wiser people than us right. talk. Mm. So, do you find that um, having a drink and having a smoke facilitates um, 
facilitates the ability because i think if i got together with a group of guys even if i thought they were all great like i didn't have any i wasn't like oh they're a little bit like i feel like they're a little kind of like a literary snob and i'm not sure if i like this group um if i thought they were all really solid i think i would still feel a little bit uncomfortable like we're gonna get together and read po- especially right. if it's poetry like if it was a, right. a like an essay or maybe one person was like leading like a book study or a bible study it'd be different but right. um do you find that people like it sounds dumb but i feel like the first thing i think of in my mind is like you kind of do something manly and then whatever else you do after that you kind of don't even think about it right like yeah the idea of getting together and reading poetry with guys doesn't sound that manly but if you have a cigar in your hand and right. you're like on your second glass of whiskey reading a poem is like yeah this is what we do get right. behind it guys you know and if it's um, a good poem people are like sitting there and it's like wow that was good and but like but half the time we're just goofing off too it doesn't have to be like mm. okay guys listen listen yeah jake's gonna go <laughs> like <laughs> everyone clap it's kind of like okay shut up peter you're going next like get up and give yeah. us something like it's just like sure it's it's also just like a, like <clears throat> don't be so prideful like just mm. it doesn't matter like it's not mm. it's not a big deal like right. it you might be reciting a really stupid poem um but there's also just a lot of good poems so like someone gets up and they recite a poem and everyone's like hell yeah that was awesome <laughs> like it could be like gh chesterton's poem about don juan of austria and the battle of Lepanto, and it's like all right well done yeah. yeah there's this one poem that i i needed to do some more research on but matt frad read it on his podcast a couple times and i forget that i can't remember the title of it which I, I remember some of the lyrics and so i've tried to search those and i can't find it but it's essentially like about how you'll search the whole world for meaning you can conquer lands all this stuff but really like the best feeling is coming home like kissing your wife, lighting up a pipe and reading a good book or something to that extent. And it was this really interesting poem where it's one of those poems where you almost don't realize it's poetry, even though there's rhyming words, right? Because it doesn't feel forced. It's just like, this is what I did. And this is what like, life is good. And it was just, it was really wholesome poem. And I was like, yeah, I like, I, I like poems like that. But then you read other poems. And you're like, Ugh, this right. They're red. Right. So much alliteration. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anything by Chesterton. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I, I think that that's, um, unfortunately, I think that's a problem that society, like our, our modern society has, especially with men, is that um, I think men are too self-conscious about mm-hmm. what they enjoy. Like they might like a, a movie or a show or a book, but they wouldn't like admit that. Right. But they probably like it for like very concrete reasons. Like, no, there's like a strong male role model or like this poem actually really struck me like right. in whatever way but you don't really want to admit that so to be able to have a group of guys get together and be like huh, but also poetry and it's not a really weird nerdy like academic thing right that's that's a really cool balance to find and i'm glad i'm glad you guys have found that um yeah it's something we would yeah. love to keep going um <clears throat> yeah what well, also just breaks down again because you speak you spoke earlier about kind of the masculinity crisis with this lack of fatherhood it's like people are offered either kind of the soy boy like tiktok Mm. version or kind of just the gym bro like whey protein like and you just can't express any feeling it's like get it yeah no like you can read a a poem and Mm. like it can be like this emotional thing but it's not this like weepy weepy kind of stuff it's like no like you have to feel that passion because there's this like right ordering of our passions and there's something about poetry that like takes you kind of on that and shows you a way of actually forming those passions towards a good end. Mm-hmm. Again, just if you're reading a poom about like I love reading poems by World War One and World War Two poets. Oh, yeah. It's like these guys who have kind of gone through the trenches and gone through some of the craziest stuff. Um and you they're writing poems about it. It's like that's not really like you're not gonna have like soy boy like 
vibes from that. It's like, okay, this is like teaching me something about manhood in these challenging times. Like, meanwhile, I'm sitting here and I had my desk job all day. Like, yeah, um, I don't think reading this poem is like making me um, a soy boy or a terrible term to use. But um, yeah, I th- again, I think it's just the West too has become so into like, it's either this kind of like throw it to the winds, everything goes or very intellectual and rigorous. It's like, mm-hmm. there's something about poetry where it meets both those lines. It's like, no, it's this yeah. right ordering of passions and it's a very healthy thing to experience. I think, I don't know if I mentioned, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast, but I remember talking to someone about this, how, and I don't necessarily have a, have a, have a bad, uh, taste of, of Jocko in my mouth at all but I used him as an example of like he's like the ultimate like you know ex-Navy SEAL leadership workout every day doesn't matter if you went to bed at three get up at four like mm-hmm. you know crunch time um, and then you have Andrew Tate who's like kind of that way but much more like, like kind of power focused and I was like and Jordan Peterson is very much in the middle where he's not posting things about working out I mean granted he's older and things like that but he's like He's he he I'm is my cold plunge now. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully someone can pull me out. Um, but uh, but he's this interesting balance of like he's very well read, mm-hmm. very knowledgeable, could beat pretty much anyone in a debate, but is very obviously hardcore. Like he's not mm-hmm. just like an overweight like academic sitting at a computer just like reposting things on Twitter. Like right. that's not. And so it's interesting to have that. Like you see how guys are drawn to all three of them, but like Jocko doesn't really bring up faith. He doesn't really bring up mm-hmm. theology, even though I think he probably could, as I have no and doubt he that he's really smart. Principles. He has a lot of good principles. And I think if he talked to someone who brought up Catholic principles, he'd probably agree with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Andrew Tate, who is just very like, yeah, well, if you can make money on only fans, you might as well. Cause he's like so overly pro capitalist that it's like, right. um, that it's embarrassing, <laughs> but it's so cool to have like Jordan Peterson or there's other people that are like in the middle where you're like, you can read a poem and I don't think less of you, mm. but that's, I think that's because you've shown yourself to be a man and you've shown yourself to be well-read and you've shown yourself to be a good debater in other mm. situations. And I think that um, you kind of have to you almost have to like earn that, right? Mm. Like if you're a, if you're a podcaster, if you're like an influencer online, you can't just start posting like things of you reading GK Chesterton. That's great. But right. like you also have to like show people that, it's it's more than that there's more it's not just me picking a person or an ideology to get behind and then all of a sudden i'm this person right right and with jordan peterson obviously has so much content that it's like you could look up anything and realize how incredibly smart he is and how well read he is but mm-hmm. well because um, he's thought about it in his own terms it's kind of it's yeah. not like mm-hmm. oh every time he talks about it it's always kind of like well young says or like i mean even a lot of catholics would be like well saint thomas aquinas says it's like St. Thomas Aquinas is great, but have you thought about it with your own brain? Like, mm-hmm. it's not just, like, referring to everything, like... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but he yeah. has that approach where it's, like, he's very well-read, and he's read all these things, but he doesn't just attach himself to yeah. one of those. So I'm, I'm curious with this, where you guys want it to go, because I know, I mean, you just love to pick people's brains, but... Um, is there an end goal that you guys like? Is, Money. What's, what's the Money's the end goal. Oh, why aren't you just doing OnlyFans then? <laughs> That's a great question. I'd love to answer that. Um, <laughs> there's a few reasons why I'm not. Yes, right. Uh, uh, no, we won't edit that out. This is that all is part of the chart. Right? That is um, stained. Yeah, so I think 
so it's interesting because I feel like the reason that we started this is very similar to the reason just, that y'all just started the Substack. Mark has to say something too at some point. So. Okay, yeah, no, we'll, we'll question Mark later. <laughs> yeah. Mark, how are you doing now? Our um, second guest for it. this evening is <laughs> yeah, one of our co-hosts. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and I'll let both of you maybe uh, elaborate on this a little bit more than I can. But I think like really the main reason is that we would hang out and have have drinks, have a couple cigars, hang out, and like just talk about stuff and we would never we actually may we may have benefited from saying we're going to talk about this like essay or this book um but none of us were organized enough and we were all in college and so we didn't really have time for that but i think after that we just kind of missed like we just missed talking to people and then i realized that i would invite like i would invite a bunch of guys over but then i would invite like mr brown or i would invite like mrs hickson or Mm -hmm. something and then it would end up kind of being a group of us just being like so why did you do that? Or where did you go to graduate school? And, and you're just, you're kind of just drawn to the wisdom of that person. Right. And I was like, I don't really want to stop doing that. And we don't have to, rec- like, we don't really have to record it to do that. We, I mean, I can you talk to anyone. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, and I do, if people come over and I'm interested in them, I'll, I'll just talk to you're them. You're saying you would invite a James um, to just come hang out? Well, no, not, not James, but that's a Never different story. James. Yeah. I mean, some you, people I just don't like on a personal level, but um, I mean, I just don't trust him to do my tile. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Not my tile guy. James, um, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> yeah. what are we, no, yeah. let's be real. Matter. James is not going to listen to this. I doubt. I, I told him, I sent him his podcast and I was like, don't worry. Like if you listen to it, don't be self-critical. And then I was like, don't worry. None of us have listened to it either. Right. Um, none of us no, but I, I think that we just were like, we don't want to stop asking questions and talking to people. And if it becomes a big thing where we can get really big guests on and it becomes popular, that'd be great because the bigger the guests, at least ideally, the more interesting they are, the more people you can affect, you Mm -hmm. can talk with different organizations. And if not, then it's just people from the community and it's really just people from the community that are listening to it anyway. So, But it's um, also like you don't want to just assume that those people wouldn't have an interesting story because like you just don't know how well you even know them because they could right. have sure. this crazy life. It's right. kind of like, and that's happened. Yeah, and I had this crazy life and then, and I decided yeah. I want to go live in front of because it's yeah. yeah, great cats community. Yeah. And, and depending on the person, I mean, so, some people that we've had on, I know pretty well, so I kind of know mm-hmm. what to expect, but other people, they come on and they're like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't Catholic for years. And you're like, wait, what? Like, right. and I, maybe that would have come up in conversation, but if it's someone right. you've known most of your life and they come over, you're just going to ask about their job and ask how things are right. going. So, um, at least, for me, I just decided I think we need to make it more official because something about recording, it's very similar to like being, in, it's all about being intentional, right? Mm-hmm. Having a drink, having a smoke, setting a time to do something. Maybe you read an essay, whatever. It 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 kind of forces you to say, this is what we're going to be talking right. about. And it makes you not just accept like, yeah, we're just hanging out. We're it's just, also conducive kind of to vegging. certain, it's conducive to certain conversations and questions yeah. that you wouldn't ask right. if you like, right. you just had someone random over and kind of like, Right. Uh, but like you, it's like we're here and mm. we're doing a podcast. But it, like, so there's certain things that I'm going to ask you about. Yeah, um, it, that well, you wouldn't ask about. And otherwise. it feels more normal because if I'm on, if we're if we're recording and I and I say, so tell me about this. In person, you might be like, it's kind of a weird thing to say. Like, mm-hmm. we, haven't, we haven't really gone. Like, what where are the formalities? Whereas on an episode, it's like, yeah, he's interviewing me. Like, that's right. that's what he's gonna say. But, um, I mean, I think ultimately our goal is just to keep it really conversational interview as much as we need to but just to keep the conversation flowing drinks are always a part of that mm-hmm. um someday i'd like to have a studio where we could smoke because i think that would be even better be awesome. like light up a pipe but um yeah and i and i think we at least i i really pushed for and i don't think there was much pushback but i pushed for long format because like if we if we have someone on if we have someone on for half an hour 
we, we'd probably get most of the same content that you're telling us. Right. But it's going to be in a distilled form, and most podcasts that do that, unless it's a debate podcast or a really quick like political podcast, mm-hmm. it sounds forced, and it doesn't sound like the host is actually interested. Right. Whereas if you have a long format, like I'm not going to talk, to, I don't invite people on that I am not interested in talking to because I don't want to waste three hours of my time. <laughs> it's it's actually going to be four hours, so just buckle up. No, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but I'm I don't want I, I don't want to waste time with someone I'm not interested in. So. Um, yeah, that's, still have, and I'm sitting that's, here like, why am I? Here? That's, the, that's the long version. Well, Anthony, Do you guys want to comment? Just, I was walking by and Anthony asked me to come in, so I, uh, this Brian's is, like, I've never done this before. <laughs> I've never been a part of this. It's actually the first time we've all button. been together in a while. Yeah, because we while. keep like you guys keep alternating, Getting coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, as so, you can tell, uh, I'm the talker of the three. Right, 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 so right. I really just need to get it out. It's kind of a disease. No, I mean I'm I'm doing this because I'm uh, I'm selfish. Um, Anthony just wants to talk to people. I'm just like I want to get to know, like I want to be around these two, especially just very good men. Um, and well, okay, well not anymore. Um, you ruined it, guys. Yeah, and um, every guest that Anthony's able to get is like top tier except for tonight for some reason yeah i'm glad you said that well you're one of the guests though Mark. yeah we're not, oh, not, we're, not, we're, not yeah. we're not um can you introduce yourself yeah, yeah. For, sure, for sure i think that i've always been an introvert and very quiet and so like being able to be in this and chirp in where i can but also just listen to I mean, my, my, I think my favorite one that we had was James Iskanik because just being able to listen to his story, but also like ask questions and it was in the morning. So I had energy, um, but like, so you're a morning person. Yeah. Um, that is like, um, that's a blessing to be able to just sort of sit back and, and listen to, um, people have these excellent conversations with each other, but also chime in where I can. Right. What do you think? What was it about James's that you found fascinating? Was it kind of because he's kind of really gone from kind of end mm. to end where he was, it's like he's doing tile work in Front Royal, but he's also in California doing the acting and that whole world. He's a, he's an excellent storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's very like, he's, he's an actor. So he's yeah. very, he's very theatrical. Um, and uh, kind of all like Brian wasn't there, there on that one, but like all probably three didn't, of us. Probably didn't listen to it either. Yeah. <laughs> all, all three of us got along like really well and kind of were able to bounce off of each other right. and like i said it was in the morning and i had energy and uh anthony was drinking irish coffees yeah, um, so many better <laughs> and, um, but yeah i think uh it's a very selfish reason that i'm doing this and and i don't i don't really care where it goes just because um it's good to be involved right so right. that's great and that's that's pretty apparent. I think that he doesn't care. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but I, I no. I edit. I actually, episode. I actually think that it's really important to, like, kind of going back to like being genuine. That's why we do long format is because it feels more genuine. That's right. why we have a drink on the show, even though we easily could not do that, or we could like not. We could have a less comfortable way of doing this. Like you know, there's a lot of different things we could do that would be different that might be easier or better. But it's less genuine. And I think right. that people are drawn, like, with your Substack, 
people are drawn to what's good and what's true and what's mm-hmm. beautiful. And maybe we don't always hit that mark with our conversation, but people are drawn to what's uh, it's like authentic. Mm-hmm. And if it's something where we have someone on because they own a big company and we're like hoping that they repost it so that we get our podcast out there. Right. It, people, will, they see through that because you see that all the time. If you listen to a podcast and some political person is interviewing a person that has a book, the person that wrote the book is only on that political podcast to get the word out. They don't care about that host most likely, maybe they're friends, but probably not. Um, And it's just, it's fake. And so much of the world is fake now that I think it's, that's why Joe Rogan is so successful. It's why Matt Fratt is so successful because they just sit down with people who they're genuinely interested in and they'll talk about, I was listening to uh, well, a conversation Joe, as if no one was actually listening. Right. 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 And, that, and that's what we've right. done that a few times where we're like, Hey, if, if everything breaks, it would suck for the guest because they would be expecting to, you know, right. get the recording and send it to their friends and stuff. Right. But mm-hmm. it's like, I really don't think we would treat it any differently. We'd probably go outside and light up a cigar. But right. other than that, I'm going to be asking the same things. Right. And if people don't want to listen to that, I don't care. Right. Yep. Because if they don't want to listen to it, then, Nothing yeah, right. that we're going to do is going to cause them to listen to it. Yeah, right. So it's really, in a, in a way, it is kind of selfish because we're just doing what we want to do. And then we hope that people like it enough to listen to it. And for the amount of advertising and marketing and stuff that we do, we get a lot of listens per episode. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, great. Yeah. And, but if that radically drops, maybe we need to review what guests we're having on. But <laughs> honestly, probably not. Like, hey, we're like, probably be doing that after you. Maybe after this one. Somehow we got negative views. <laughs> so many people thumbs this down. It got deleted on um, Spotify. For right. but, it got canceled. Yeah, what about, talking about Israel. what about you, Brian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I guess I, I would kind of say uh, a bit of both, really. Um, you can't just do that. No, no, no. no. I mean, Have I, an original thought. Dude, <laughs> no, you know what? I'm just going to do it. No, I feel like, I mean, it was their idea. It was both their ideas um, uh, before, and I kind of just... No? Okay. Uh, Anthony, okay. All right. Maybe it was just Anthony. It was, it was going to be uh, like us two, and I was really excited, and then Brian joined in, and I was like, oh. great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I somehow, I think, I think uh, it was really kind of just through the, um, like, bonding over podcast with Anthony, but then also talking across the street with other guys. Bonding um, over podcast is in, like, when you guys listen to, and yeah. then talking about them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pints of the Let's um, be real. Let's just call a spade Catholic, a spade. The Catholic Mansion. The Catholic well, Mansion. On, that, Catholic note, yeah, on that note, is that, like, it's not like you just want to copy and paste Pints with Aquinas, but, like, it, right. that's kind of what you guys are going for, where it's just, yeah. or maybe, like, I don't sure. know, Catholic Man Show, something like that. Like, I mean, you're not trying to copy and paste, but there's this, you guys have these examples where it's like... I would say it's probably a combination of those two, mostly. Yeah. The Catholic Man Show, they, like, have a uh, drink every episode. They do a radio show, so the structure is slightly different. Mm, right. But they have on a lot of people that are either we've had on, we want to have on, or we, like, will have on. But would you guys um, want to be more, like, going outside of the Catholic world, even? Like, is that something you guys yeah. would do? Because I, I would imagine I think Catholic so. show would be like just Catholics, and you're talking about I like think Catholic. They, I think that shop. they've had non-Catholics on, but mo- like they had a guy on who owns a cigar factory, and so okay. they had him on to talk about like how to make a cigar, and like, right. but that was more of like an interest of theirs. It right. wasn't trying to branch out. We had a Methodist um, on. Ooh, we had a Methodist. Yeah, well, yeah. former Methodist. Nice try. No, what was Alex? Yeah, oh, Bragwell. true. Bragwell, yeah. yeah, we did have an. Sorry, I was thinking Mrs. Eschbach, um, oh. but she <laughs> yeah, converted. What a coincidence. Um, but yeah, so there was a guy, you probably didn't listen to, but we had a guy who, um, he's in contact with the Daily Wire, and he reached out to 
the producer of some of their recent films because he's a aspiring actor and filmmaker mm-hmm. and the guy uh dallas sonier um was like yeah we're, we're having the premiere in nashville you should come send him tickets he went met a bunch of the daily wire hosts is in contact with them is hoping to be in an upcoming show and it was like right. so i happened to just like the instagram algorithms brought us together i reached out to him and we still text like once a week Nice. Like I'll send him something like, "Hey, read." The, I I sent him JP2's letter to artists. I was like, "You're mm-hmm. an aspiring artist." I was like, "Don't don't think about this as being like Catholicism preaching. Just read it and tell me what you think." Right. It's just a good um, piece. And he's yeah. like, he really enjoys the chosen. And yeah. so there's like interesting things where he's not like all on board for Catholicism, but he I think he told us on the podcast he was like, "If you want to talk outside of the podcast, that'd be great." Mm, yeah. Like so he want he's he's looking for that. Um, so. I wouldn't say we're exclusively Catholic. I think it's just there are so many Catholics in the area that are interesting right. that I want to talk to that are doing great things that I want to prioritize them. Um, but there's like there's by no means. And like, you've also a left it broad enough. I mean, doing virtue. It's right. not like yep. doing Catholicism yep. or something like it's. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a guy I reached out to who um, hopefully will be a guest in the future, and uh, he replied was like, "I'd love to come on. I checked it out on Spotify. Looks great, but uh, I'm not Catholic." is that a problem? And I was like, no, like, yeah, it would be a problem if we were asking you to come on to talk about Catholicism. Right. I was like, no, I'm just interested in who you are, who you work for. He started this philosophy group. Hmm. Like I'm interested in all of those things. And if you want to talk about the faith, I'm more than happy to, but I'm not going to put you in a spot of like, why aren't you Catholic? Like that's not my intention. So, Hmm. um, did we like totally cut off? Yeah. I was going to go back. You were talking (laughs) about podcast, Pines of the Aquinas. You guys were talking about this. Right. Yeah, Sorry, Brian. I mean, well, no, 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 no problem. Yeah, I didn't mean you guys to can keep mind. talking. I'm totally fine with listening. <laughs> I feel like, honestly, going through the episodes, even uh, just remembering back, I feel like just being able to sit here and listen to like conversations go on. I feel like that that is a lot of the time like yeah, sitting over. We're just over... here to watch Anthony <laughs> talk. To okay, well, I, it's tr- like... I try not to do that. I really do, but the burden of being a host <laughs> just yeah. gets to me. Well, I mean, I mean there's but a reason it... you started it too. But, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. But it is just fun. I mean, being able to uh, like listen to the conversation here, but also partake in the conversation, have people on who we're interested in talking to, and mm-hmm. we we know enough that we that we have questions for uh, that it gives us the opportunity to ask those questions, and then um, and yeah, and it is cool to also. Um, I mean, it hasn't happened all that often. Only a couple of them have stayed after to, to like to just to just keep talking and everything. But it is still cool to have that opportunity to be like, yeah, we're doing this structured, but now we don't have to be structured and we can talk kind of about anything. Um, yeah. So yeah, just having I think the opportunity uh, is a, is just has been really cool. So yeah, yeah just to do that conversation. You're thing. Just secretly recording the after conversation. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah our, for our wait, wait. local supporters. <laughs> so wait, that question um, we asked you earlier, what do you really feel about it? Yeah. We actually speak into the microphone, please. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you turn your head? Um, yeah. It's something that I've been thinking about recently and uh, like kind of where I, where you want, where I want to take it. Uh, I was pretty intentional about wanting to name it something that, was very like okay it's like it's like we want it to be like Thomistic and like 
you know, like, I don't want people to, I don't want it to just be called, like, the podcast or right. something that's so vague that or no one knows what it's talking about. The Catholic podcast or something. Right, but like I didn't that. want it to, but I also didn't want it to just blend in either with other Catholic podcasts or, um, I think maybe, did you come up with the name? I think Mark came up with the name and I was like. That's the only reason I'm here. That's a really good. <laughs> He's kept me on for the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I don't want him to sue me. Um, but I was like, no, that's actually really good because that's the basis of all of our conversation. It's going to be like, do, like virtue is an action. We need to do it. We it plays into Mountain Dew. It it's all it all works really well. Is it? It's is Mountain D, Dew. It's DW. Yeah. yeah, doing. Um, it wasn't supposed to be like Dew in the morning. Like, nope. Um, no, we uh, can play off that one. But too. I do. But I do <laughs> like <okay>. that. <laughs> um, so it's actually Mountain Dew. Yes, technically, and that's but work? yep. There we go. There's Mountain Dew. Um, that's great. We've been waiting. You can have some if you want, but we've been waiting. So Mr. Brown who mm-hmm. is supposed to come on the podcast. We've uh, kind of canceled and rescheduled several times. Um, he introduced me to Mountain Dew when I used to cater for him. He would bring it. and that You he, had never drank it before that? I think I maybe had it, but I wasn't like... But when Mr. Brown was I wasn't a fan you, of it, but like he would... But then he started being like, oh, you like it, so he would get two. So like we'd come That's to... Great. And then it started... I think at a certain point, he got off Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> he got off. Well... <laughs> it's like so a drug. Yeah, I mean, that kind of, yeah. He's clean now. But then, yeah, yeah. But then he kind of told me that he was, he was wanting... He was like, yeah, I think I'll start drinking. I just want to cut back a little bit. So then I would start bringing it to events. Like I would get two or right. like try the new blend that's when they come out with new stuff yeah <laughs> um but that became a big part of like at christendom we would like work on christmas formal or be doing some like sac project and we would like bring mountain dew and it's actually funny like when i went back to christmas formal this year i stopped in and the students had mountain dew in the fridge they were like carrying on the tradition i was like oh, that's nice. awesome. like um so that that was part of it where it was like i want it to be it, it it's a little bit of a play on words it's something that we're interested in mm-hmm. and um i've been kind of waiting to have mr brown on to actually have it on the show um but and everything will just click and make sense. everything will click right. all of a sudden i'll like feel right. my new purpose I'll be like, <laughs> um but yeah i don't know um i think that i think that conversation cut it back uh, in senior senior year he had a class called um family and is it family household? Family or? and household. Yeah. Family so and household. Yeah. Um, one, and we read a passage from a book called Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle, I, I believe. That one. And um, I still have the book somewhere. I haven't finished it, but um, really it was kind of like an anti-technology book. How like, you know, technology, everyone checks it. Everyone right. has to have it. Um, yeah, everyone pulls it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but actually this is an interesting thing. One time on the podcast, I brought this up and I was like, yeah, this is like one of the only times in the day where like two hours in i'm not thinking about taking my phone whereas if i was sitting outside even if we were having a great conversation i'd probably still check my phone and i might silence it but i'd probably check it because there's a lull in conversation or i'd show Mm. someone something yeah um and i'm not opposed to that i don't think like especially if we did like a four-hour podcast i wouldn't be opposed to like pulling up a video and watching it and discussing it or something but it's so much better not to have it and it's it's nice to know that you can go several hours without checking well it's crazy you just don't need to it's crazy that we've reached that point where i mean it's hard because we kind of grew up with it it's not like we had phones i mean for the generation below us it's going to be so much worse Mm -hmm. yeah but um just in the last five to six years it's crazy to think about where it's like it's so far and few um it's so rare that you like look back and you're like wow i didn't look at my phone for four hours Mm -hmm. and the fact that that's rare and you're surprised by it yeah is kind of terrifying yeah. too even right. as nice it is it's kind of like oh that was great but that only happens mm. so much that yep. uh, 
it's yeah so that's where it's these conversations you're kind of getting on top of the conversations themselves elevating and just having these great mm-hmm. conversations you're just stepping away from all of that too yep. which is huge yeah. Yeah. and i think it's something you need to do and if you aren't already doing it i think especially as a guy it's really something you should like you know anyone listening to this if you don't have a thing that you're doing for lent mm-hmm. like make that your thing be able to plug your phone in and leave the room and then spend time with your friends or even if spend it's just like your wife even if or, just sundays too it's like sundays you yeah. just you are on your phone yep. so you don't have to like or even work, like start small if it's too like every time you go into the chapel don't take your phone in yeah. mm-hmm. do a holy hour yeah. without your phone yeah like it's great to have the exodus readings it's great to have the biblical readings but take a book in and read the book or pray the rosary or just sit there spy watch if you don't have one yeah like you'll know especially if you go to like an actual like holy hour where there's exposition and benediction mm-hmm. Go at the beginning and you stay until the yeah. end and then you know when it's time to leave. Right. And don't, con- because there's a, there's a, I've seen people, I've walked past people checking social media in church and it's like, like sometimes I'll bring my phone in because I'm looking at Exodus. Sometimes I'm like, right. oh, I need to look up this Bible quote that I was reflecting on. And I'm tempted to look at it. But I'm like, I don't want an Instagram reel accidentally playing. Like it, <laughs> it's probably, it's probably just for the embarrassment of it, but like, right. I'm not going to check it. Right. But the fact that you have to go in, silence your phone, put it on silent, don't check social media, all this stuff. It's but like, how just, often are you actually in church? It's like, you yeah, can just don't be there bring without it. having a check. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and you're still getting like the, the buzz. And you're still getting a buzz, yeah. like, or you feel like you get the phantom buzz where you like, you right. think your phone is oh, buzzing oh and you gosh. check it. So it's like, start with that. Don't do that. Or pick a day of the week where you're not going to do that. Something that really bothers me too is people will get together and watch a movie, like as friends, and then everyone's checking their phone mm-hmm. at a slow part in the movie. It's like, and you'd hate you hate to do this, but I'm almost at the point where I want get people, the basket and everyone has to yeah, yeah everyone put your phone yeah. in because I just want to talk to you or I just want to enjoy this movie and not know oh what else is this you know what other movies is this actor in oh I can pull it up like just talk about it and then at the end you could look it up and see who's right but I think it really ruins conversation and totally. um and we have such a short term memory problem too that like without our phones we're useless like can't even i think matt walsh was talking about this on his show one time where he was like i literally don't even know if i could get to the studio like <laughs> oh, no without my phone because he's like it's so easy oh, just like yeah, yeah. google maps yeah, put it yeah. on go oh there's but then google route. maps are not actually like looking up and looking at the road and no. running the way he's like, like i could looking down your phone and that's a huge problem like i mean i can get most places if i've been there a few times i can get there but i don't always remember the road names right but like 10 years ago everyone would be like oh it's off of this and that's why if old, an older yeah. person gives you directions they'll tell you like it's south of this and you'll pass this on the right and take a left on this road and you're like yeah I don't know what you're talking about right. and like our, our generation and the generation below us it's like if the phones ever just like go out for a day everyone's oh, yeah. lost like yeah. no one's going to work well that's something I've that's, it's a small thing but there are times where I'm like okay I've done this route before I'm not pulling up Google Maps mm. and if I if I take the wrong turn that's fine right. five minutes but like it's so it's just mm-hmm. funny how it's become such a habit it's like yeah. i know how to get back i do like it's yeah but, but you're kind of like but I, I can't like visualize it because i don't remember which street it's like you can get back without mm-hmm. google maps and like even that like yeah it's weird you're like oh my gosh i actually have to like look and like mm-hmm. be aware of the road i'm not just constantly like oh okay so i'm turning in a mile yeah not even actually reading the name of the road or whatever i just not have to follow mm-hmm. the the line on my phone so and then yeah. you're getting texts you're like right answer while i'm also trying to yeah well, you just get a self-driving car. That's really the solution. Yeah, Let no, the car drive. Well, um, yeah, my down payment's already in. <laughs> right. All the money I, we're getting from this. So. Something that is kind of... That much, huh? There's a question that's kind of been on my mind as we've been talking about this, and it... Um, is this for me or James? Uh, it's for James. Sorry, <laughs> I was just looking people. at you. It's for, <laughs> it's for our fans, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
they're coming in on the phone. So there's that book that I mentioned, Reclaiming Conversation and How People Don't Talk Anymore. I think that's probably the overarching problem. Hmm. Like there's, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and I'm, I'm like personally guilty of this where you're like interacting with people at your workplace or interacting with people at your parish for years. Like I've never yeah. actually talked to them. And it would be so easy just to be like, hey, I've seen you at mass a lot. Like, who are you? What's your name? Do you want to get a drink? Do you want to get dinner? Right. Like, not in a creepy way. Like, could be just a family that you've seen a bunch of times and you respect the way that they right. discipline their kids or something. Something super simple. Discipline their kids? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. No. Um, Pro-discipline. No. Amen. Um, Amen. But, but you just don't because it's right. easier just to... And like, I've seen people in church with, like, earbuds in and, you know, who knows? Maybe they're listening to Roy and Chant, but... <laughs> It's just like, even in church, you can't just like be there and be present in, with the Eucharist. You have to like have your own thing going. Um, but it seems to me that uh, I wouldn't say, so I think that that's the root problem is avoiding conversation, avoiding confrontation, not talking to people, not expressing yourself and just, because I think people are programmed to just like, well, I'll just repost that it's President's Day. Right. Um, but I'm not going to like read about it. I don't know anything. About I'm not going to read gonna, some I'm just going to like kind of, I'm just going to show that I, you know. Right. Um, so that's definitely a, an issue, but I, I feel like maybe, I don't really know what the, the, the root is, but it seems that a huge problem is that people don't know how to write. And Jordan Peterson talks about mm-hmm. how if you can think and you can write, no one can stop you. Because okay. if, if you get into some legal dispute or you get, you take a job, if you can't express yourself, you're useless. Like you can't do well, anything. Your, the but thoughts if you in can, your own head make sense to you, but when you right. actually have to write them, it's like, yeah. oh, okay, people actually see my thoughts laid yeah. out in a way that they might not understand, mm-hmm. so I have to make them comprehensive, coherent, right. and compelling, too. And I, and I think that that's something that the liberal arts education does really well, is where it, you're in the classroom, you're learning, you're taking in all this information, and you have to, you have to be tested on it. But I think a really interesting way of testing is, like, you need to present on this topic, mm-hmm. so you need to learn this like, certain topic really well, or you need to debate this topic. But a more simple way that is a really good way of learning is just, you need to write on this. Mm-hmm. Like I, hopefully you know it intellectually, but you need to show me on a piece of paper, right? What your thoughts are, what's your research? How are you backing up your argument? Mm-hmm. Is it reasonable? Is it unreasonable? And, and all of that. And, and how, how can you present it? And, or even like, there's a really helpful way of doing this is like, pick a topic you disagree with and argue like you agree with the side you disagree with. Mm-hmm. Come up with, and Aquinas does that, right? Like, Right. the reply to the objections man, not straw man right. yeah and so um and uh, so it seems like with the broken binnacle that's something that y'all are trying to encourage is to encourage people to write and now it's more geared towards things that they agree with and with things that they like but mm-hmm. it's just to encourage writing because i think after you leave college if you've been to a, that's like a big caveat if you've been to a college <laughs> that requires you to like actually critically think and write critically right. um but then after that unless you're a journalist it's like you don't really have to do that mm-hmm. other than maybe emails um so yeah what are your thoughts on like as a as a having a sub stack running a sub stack the uh, the ability to be able to put your thoughts down and also that vulnerability of like this is what i think about a topic and people can read that and critique me you know uh it's i've done very little writing uh i mean before the broken binnacle outside of college i'd done very little writing um but it was through Crescent that I wanted to do more writing. And again, it's just because it's like, I prefer tests way more because all you have to do is regurgitate the mm-hmm. information. Like you, you study yeah. this stuff and it's just like, you have to kind of just input this response for these mm-hmm. questions. 
with writing it's like you actually have to engage with it and coherently not just have good thoughts but put them together well and be persuasive um but even among the guys that we that are part of the broken binnacle like some of us some of them are like i'm not like a writer like I, they wouldn't have done this by themselves like they they didn't feel this inner drive to become a writer mm-hmm. um i'm not gonna like say which guys have said that but like it like but they're all good writers like they're all intelligent men and they know how to express themselves intelligently but they're like well i'm not really like a writer i don't know why i would be a part of this and i've actually i've talked about that I've, I've even brought up jordan pearson too the idea of like you don't it's not a matter of like oh i want to become a writer that's my identity now the point is, if you're seriously engaging with these topics, the best way, one of the best ways to engage with them is writing. Because um, mm. it might be great that you read that book, but mm. form some sort of opinion on it and write it, again, in a persuasive, coherent, um, intelligent way. That That's a whole other thing. Because, again, it's easy to have your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, but it all comes out differently on the page because you actually create something outside of yourself that you kind of have to correspond with as well because when you see it written down on paper it kind of has this present or this existence of its own but it kind of works as like a soundboard too where you see your thoughts and you're kind of like it made sense in my head and i see them out here and it's like it doesn't make sense but it's such a healthy way of being able to translate your thoughts because even someone like a teacher where you have someone who's brilliant they don't know actually how to like translate what they're saying they don't know how like they're, they're not yeah they're just so in their own world as brilliant as they may be that they don't know how to express it so i think writing regardless of whether you want to be a writer or not is just one of the best ways for you to actually develop those thoughts in a way that you can actually express them to other people in a way that's understandable mm-hmm. it's um, funny with with homework during college it's definitely like when you get into that slum where you have you know, 50 pages for this class and 25 pages for this class and you're just like i'm gonna read them and I think, as, as Dr. Cutterback would say, there's reading and then there's reading. Um, you, you can read it, but you don't really understand it, or you don't, like, I'm just doing it to check a box, and then you're reading it right. to actually engage with the material. And then, for one thing, you have to sort of talk about it in class, but it's another thing to be able to write it down coherently and be like, yeah, I, I read it, and I took notes on it, and I understand it, and I wrote it all down. Like, I got this. This is perfect. But internalize it and feel right. this need to mm. express that then. Uh, I've George Orwell has this good essay called Why I Write. And he speaks of it almost being like, I don't write on anything unless... I mean, he has, he has much more discipline where he can actually write and he has the habit of writing in a way that I wouldn't have it. But that's something I'd love to cultivate among myself and just the other guys as well. Um, but he speaks about this, like, demon to write about something. Mm. Theme's a little dark, but, like, he's saying... He writes about something because he feels like he needs to express it. And G.K. Chesterton talks about this too where he says any idea that's not a good idea doesn't feel this drive to be expressed. Doesn't Like a mm. bad idea doesn't want to be incarnated. A good idea always wants to find expression and incarnation. So if it's a good idea, you will feel this like Dang. need to express and write about it or ex- express in some way, even if it's in a conversation. Mm. But like with writing, it allows you to do that in a very special way because you it's not just you speak on the spot. Like you have time to actually develop and work, like write it down. You have drafts where you write it at first and you're like, okay, then you're kind of working with the writing itself. And there's this kind of dialogue you have with it. 
where you're constantly changing and editing in a way that you wouldn't have in a conversation as great as conversation mm-hmm. is which is so natural but i just had this thought where you were like if like an idea that where it needs to be incarnated if it's like a, a good idea or like a true idea um is that i for some reason that made me think of like the the good is self-diffusive where mm-hmm. it's like it's always just going to naturally go out and go forth mm. because mm. it's cre- it's creative acts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's why, that's why St. John describes God as the word, right? Mm. Like it's, it's because it's something that's like, it can't be just contained in itself. It needs to go out. And that's why the gospels and to continually are, be expressed. Right. It's like, that's why the gospels are, are written. It can't just be, right. Hey, did you hear about this Jesus guy? Right. Tell everyone. It's like, it has to be, it has to be written. It has to be recorded somewhere to refer back to, but also because it need it. It has to almost like take another form. It can't just be living in the minds of men. It's true. It needs to be recorded and like set in stone. Is like, the, and that's why the commandments were put in stone, right? It can't just be something that Moses tells everyone. Hey, there's these ten commandments. Keep them. It's like it needs to be solidified mm-hmm. and actually put promulgated. in. Yeah, promulgated. Right, but even Christ is yeah. like the Word made flesh. It's like. The truth exists in the mind of God, sure, but it, like, the order of creation is towards, like, incarnation as well, where it's like right. the good mm-hmm. things are expressed and they come into being because they are good. Mm-hmm. The fact right. that they yeah. exist is because they are good. So any idea that, again, and this is within, it's a great essay. It's called *The Mystagogue* by Chesterton, where he, he's actually talking about within art and art critics, and in, he says we're this is kind of goes even to like modern art where it's kind of inexpressible and they don't really have anything to say about it, that it, it like it's beyond words, but it's like, no, if it's a good idea, it will, <laughs> it will try to be expressed. Even if we do it in a way that's totally doesn't match up to its level. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. fact is that, that you tried means that it means something to you. Right. Like the honest mm-hmm. man will always try to express the ideas that have captured him and have arrested him. And he's wrestling with, if he doesn't, then it's like, okay, well, it clearly wasn't that good of an idea if you didn't feel this need to do something with it mm. and express it and yeah. bring it into being in some way. <clears throat> kind of makes me think of, there's a movie, it's called, I think it's called The Agony and the Ecstasy, mm-hmm. um, that has, um, it's about, it's the story of Michelangelo, and it has, um, who's the really famous guy, uh, really famous guy that's good yeah, yeah, yeah. uh that sorry guy. that yeah. was very that was very vague he's um shoot there's another painter. he's the main character in uh the ten commandments and charlton heston, charlton heston. Mm-hmm. thank you that i was gonna say and ben hurt i was gonna say um, moses <laughs> yeah close um so he uh charlton heston is michelangelo and mm-hmm. uh at the very beginning it, it's it's based on a the true story obviously and at the beginning uh he's shown because he only wants to be a sculptor he doesn't want to paint and so really, the, the, it's the whole, the agony and the ecstasy is he doesn't want to do the Sistine Chapel. The Pope keeps pushing him to. Finally, he's like, okay, I'll do it. The Pope gives him a limited budget. He starts, and then he's like, this is not enough. I give up. I'm not doing this. The Pope's like fighting wars. And then he shows up, and he's like, look, I will do this, but it needs to be like way better. I need way more money. And then the Pope grants it, and then he does it. It's mm-hmm. this great work. But right at the beginning, like the, I think it's the opening, or not the opening scene, but the first th- scene that you see Charlton Heston he's got this big block of marble and he's talking to one of the guys and the guy's like, what are you going to do with this? He's like, Oh, I'm there. There's a, there's a, like a, there's a form inside and I'm just here to release that form. Right. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, no, I see it. Like there's an image in this stone and my job is just to remove the parts that don't matter. Um, and it's yeah. kind of interesting because it, 
it's it's very similar where it's like there's this truth that's there and you just have to get to it and he and from michelangelo's perspective obviously he's a brilliant sculptor and painter and all that but right. he just would like see it's like okay it's there and it's now i just have to paint it or remove the rock to to get to what's there right. but he already saw that in in the thing itself um but yeah no it's a good movie it's a little slow but it's right it's going from but it, it's true but it's going from this formless kind of i guess not chaos but it's this formless mm-hmm. thing and if it's a good idea it will feel this need to be formed in a specific way too it's not just like yeah. vague like you even see it um within kind of the gender ideology and just so many other things where it's like it's this kind of inexpressible fluid thing it's like no good things are determined in certain ways too like they have this form and this structure as well and that doesn't mean there's not this like interchange and interweaving between all things but they have these these definite forms where it's like right good things are particular too especially for us in the created world it's like the things that we love are particular things too it's not just this general vague thing it's like, right yes there's the platonic ideals just consciousness whatever it might be but for us it's like we know them in particular ways mm-hmm. and if they are good they will seek to be expressed in those particular yeah. ways it's almost like it's this idea of like there's there's complexity in objectivity not just complexity in subjectivity where it's like yeah there's there's only two genders that's subjective or that that's objective but within those two very specific divisions of people, there's tons of complexity. Well, this is going again, which is why there's all these like beautiful differences, like neurologically, physically, right. spiritually between men and women. But I feel like there's like the social movement is just trying to look at all the complexity. And like it's all over the place. It's we only can't possibly define the gender, and right. we, and it's like well, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, well, not to I mean I was writing people who are just like oh Saint Thomas Saint Thomas Aquinas says, but this is something I love about distinguishing that where St. Thomas Aquinas says you can only have true diversity within unity. Mm-hmm. Anything else is just difference. Mm-hmm. If there's no unity, it's just difference, mm-hmm. but you can only have true diversity with unity. And again, mm-hmm. where it's like the two genders thing. It's like, no, f- from this idea of the two genders, you can actually have true diversity among those because you actually have this unity, which they are a diversity of. Yeah. But when mm-hmm. it's just everything's diversity and there's no unity, it's like, no, that's just difference. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not just different because there are likenesses and sameness, like similarities and differences that you see. And but but it, there are these unities that you can find and you can see the genders. So it's it's this fascinating thing. Where it's like, well, you you actually can't have diversity without some sort of unity. Right. Well, I mean, ultimately, all of that goes back. The first thing I thought of when you said that is the Trinity, right? Like you have this undivided unity. And then within that, there's this division of three persons that's like this complex um like relationship of three persons but it's still in this one united godhead it's like mm-hmm. how, how do you <laughs> but that's like that's the model <laughs> like you right. the trinity is like is the pinnacle of this united yet kind of do you div- say pinnacle or binnacle i know <laughs> <laughs> um, i think i said pinnacle <laughs> <Bullsort. The broken laughs> we'll, we'll put that as our tagline host compares trinity to the binnacle right. um, <laughs> you guys uh, you ever, know it's there did you read tintin Grand i love Fidel? tintin yeah yeah everyone always just everyone's like what is it the broken barnacle something yeah i, I was I actually gonna say it. so when i i don't know if it was when i first heard it but i think that when i was listening to your interview with john jack mm-hmm. he he mentioned something about that and i was like 
that was in the back of my mind, but I didn't think of it. And then he said that and I was like, that's totally like, that's definitely what my mind like read to subconsciously because he talks about like blistering barnacles. He's always like saying these like alliterative, uh, things. Um, I was really just trying to distract Anthony from getting into the Trinity because... It's yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> okay, we're about to try and <laughs> Well, you know what they say, you can only it. speak about the Trinity for a minute before you get into heresy. So. Yeah, right. A minute? That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't yeah, even know. I, I made you just up. keep reiterating the same thing in different You just words, keep so. saying, like, three persons, yeah, yeah. God, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, With, uh, I had one question just about, I guess... About the Trinity? <laughs> moving on all right yeah. mark do you have anything um, so the trinity is basically <laughs> no, no 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 you don't know about about writing in general and like forming being able to form thoughts uh but form thoughts in a way that like are kind of always in dialogue so that you're like you're able to form thoughts better and then also you can write better and because you're always working and editing with what you're writing um obviously you're doing something that is uh, like structured and you're doing this like every six weeks or whatever. And and you have to be writing that stuff, but is like, it seems that a lot of people, and we were talking about this before and that's why there's need for conversation. There's this need that people have because they, they can't form their own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and you were talking about writing being a good outlet for that. Um, is that it almost seems that with that being the case, like there is, you were talking about, there's, there's like objective and, and like there are these objective things and there's diversity within that. But then, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I, it just made me think of when people are writing or a lot of people need to write and they need to be able to form their thoughts. But is that like, do I need to form my thoughts into when you say that, is that do I need to form it into like Turabian? <laughs> yeah, with footnote. No, no, no. Um, I guess I'm kind of losing my train of thought. But thanks, Mark. Um, no, no, no. I kind of was losing it before, also too, though. Um, so I guess just with writing and forming thoughts, can you just delve deeper a little more into that? More like, about the writing process. Itself. Yeah, yeah. Or like, and why it's so beneficial for people to be able to form their thoughts. I think it just forces you to keep honing the ideas that you might have. And again, it go, it's almost like the Michelangelo thing where it's like you have these thoughts, but they're these blocks and you feel this intuition or kind of like, I see something there, mm. but it's not really definite yet. It's not expressed in, in a compelling way. Um, so I think with the writing process, the a lot of the time, the best articles you're going to have are going to be the ones where you're, going with the first round and you're just going through continuous drafts and constantly revisiting it with fresh eyes. Mm. Um, and it's something I struggle with because I'm a perfectionist. I write slowly and I just try, like edit as I go, mm. which is I think a bad way of doing it. Like if you have the ideas, you start with the blocks and just get that out. You come back to it and you see the blocks that you've written. That's just metaphorically. You have the blocks that you've written and then it's actually there and you can actually kind of work with it a little more because when it's in your head, it's hard to, see it all in one with just your head but like when you have it on paper or just on writing it's like okay you can actually read through it and does it make sense but through each process i think with each drafts where you're actually getting feedback from people who are challenging on things you're kind of like oh yeah like i kind of assumed that made sense 
Um, right. Even the idea of like an anthememe where you kind of go from like A to C because you for you is kind of intuitive, but people are like, wait, where's the B in between? Like, mm. I, I kind of see where you're going, but like you kind of just jump there. Right. So kind of filling in the gaps, but also just trying to bring out more the ideas that you have. So it has to be a process where you're actually engaging with your own writing, but also having other people hmm. see it as well because it makes sense to you, but someone else might come in and be like, what the heck do you mean by this? And then it forces right. you to kind of step out of like the thinking you had before and be like, oh, okay, wow, I didn't even think that was a possibility that was a possible right. way of seeing what i was saying right um especially the more complicated the topic might be where it's hard to express it in words and you just write it out and it's really clunky and then through the drafting process through re-engaging with it yourself and having other people engage with it and give you feedback you're able to clear away what doesn't need to be there right. and also give it more definite form okay um and, and i'm still i'm still really bad at that like I'm, I would say I'm still not a good writer in so many ways. Um, and I would love to be at the point where I'm like, I'm actually going through three or four drafts mm. at least before each post. But I'm at the point mm. where I'm like one or two maybe. Sure. Um, but I feel like the more you're going through that process and refining it, the better. But again, you actually have to be disciplined about that where you're right. actually starting to write the three to four weeks before you're supposed to post as opposed to the week before because right. then you just run out of time. Yeah. And it's a whole process. And it almost seems like with, like if people aren't as, either don't have their own uh, kind of blog or, or just like this structured thing that they have to, um, uh, they have to add to, um, it would almost seem like the, the f if, if it's people who are, are wanting to form their thoughts better, it's like, okay, I need to write it down and then, conversation is that next thing it's mm -hmm. like okay i have this i have this idea i was thinking about it instead of having like someone come up and be like okay i just want you to edit this like write on it kind of thing it's like okay no i'm going to take that and i'm going to talk to this person about it and i'm like i'm showing you what my paper was but i want you to kind of like obviously converse with the idea mm -hmm. um but that yeah no that's just interesting because i i think i it shows the necessity of why we need to like to converse and that we're like conversational and social animals. Like, like and the we, pursuit of truth is it's not just a singular thing. Like right. you have to be doing it with other people because right. you might be right about certain things, but even your own understanding of it could be better developed by other right. people questioning. So like, I don't really understand what you mean by that. Right. And it forces you to actually, again, get outside of your own head to right. have a kind of this sounding board as well. So it's, right. it is, yeah, it's, Again, you don't have to be a writer to do the writing. I think it's important to just be developing that skill because it actually helps you develop your own thoughts too. Right. It's not about the writing's great, but it also kind of refines your own thinking too in a way that you wouldn't have had if you were just thinking them yourself. Right. Yeah, and it, and on, it just makes me think of uh, like extended family that uh, like as you were saying, they do have these thoughts that are right and and like by themselves it's like yeah no that's that's a good thought but then um when it comes to trying to uh either persuade or even have conversations with other people about like what like just talking about ideas or like trying to show why this person is wrong it's especially even now in in the uh in just society it's it's so easy to be like no this is how it is stop talking because like it, it's just these two these polar opposites because they they literally can't talk 
Like, they, like yeah. they're just talking past each other, and so, so there's many an insecurity talk past too because you're scared of being wrong. That right. if you are wrong, then everything's going to come crashing down. Right, and you're almost more prone to be wrong if you're not actually conversing with people. Right, because then because you're just conversing with yourself, and then obviously you're going to be right because you're conversing with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's like, who, yeah. where are you going to be wrong? Uh, well, and that's so. kind of the the danger of all the sophisticated algorithms and stuff with social media is that you can actually like, you can kind of develop a worldview and then be constantly fed that worldview. Or you find a podcaster that like kind of aligns with your views and then only listen to them. And while that's good in, in some degree, you also need to go out and be like, well, I'm going to listen to this podcaster who's pro choice and kind of get, get into his mindset. And I don't want to do it too much to the point where I'm like losing my faith. Um, I I mentioned this the other night when, when Mark was over where I, might be Chesterton, but I don't want to. I feel like Chesterton is one of those people that you like everyone attributes quotes right. to, like Churchill and all that. Yep. But I think it was Chesterton who said, like, you want to be open minded, but not so open minded that Everything your brains fall out, out right? Everything. So it's like you want to be open minded to say, okay, I have these, like, I have this basis of reality. I know what human nature is. I know what my faith teaches, but like, what do Muslims believe? And then get into that a little bit, but not to the point where you're like, wow, maybe. This might be right, you know. Right. Like, don't don't go so deep into something that you know that your faith disagrees with that you're becoming open to it or becoming weak in your faith. Use that as an opportunity to strengthen your faith, and right. then to be able to argue your faith and say, "Well, actually, I'm correct, and you're Muslim." And I, like, what's what's great is when you <laughs> you're see, Muslim, like, so you're wrong. <laughs> well, no, but what's great is if you see like a Catholic debater, like Trent Horn does this all the time, where he'll debate mm-hmm. someone and he'll be debating like a Protestant. And they'll say something. He's like, well, that's not what you believe if you're Methodist. And they're like, wait, what? He's like, well, Methodists believe this. Like, if you believe that, you're actually Presbyterian mm, right. or something. And it's like he's telling them more about what their specific, like, so-called sect believes because he understands it. But it's not in a it's not in a way that he's like, yeah, actually, I kind of agree with that. He's like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm very clearly opposed to you. Right. But here's what, like, let me let me teach you about your faith. Which, if you can <laughs> right. get to that point where you're like teaching people, like oh, you believe in this kind of ideology or this philosophy or this theology. Let me tell you about that. And you can you can present that in a way that's like believable right. and true. Like no, like that'll, that's a much easier way for you to convert people because not only are you knowledgeable about your faith, you can tell them about their faith. Okay. <laughs> like this is what you guys profess to believe. I don't know if you like personally believe that, but this is what Methodists believe. But finding also so, finding the good things that they have and building yeah. off of that where it's yeah. like yeah. you even see St. Paul... Where he speaks about, yeah. where he speaks about the temple to the unknown god. It's yeah. kind of like, okay, you guys have a sense of this. You guys, okay, there's something here. Yeah, let me affirm that. Right. Find the good things that they have and build out of that, where you can right. actually build off of the truth, and then it starts mm-hmm. to push out the lies. Where it's like, okay, this pantheon, like, what about what's this thing about the unknown god kind of thing? Where it's like, right. you do that with other people, and it's like, well, why do you guys, why do you guys even have that in the first place? Yeah. Like, where do you think that even comes from? The sense of the unknown God or just even anyone today where it's like, where do you think your sense of goodness comes from? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even right now I'm, I'm like listening to a Sam Harris book. Um, Dang. What's it called? It's called waking up. <laughs> yeah. But it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, I think he, he's kind of a reductionist on a lot of levels, but like, there's a lot of things where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's good. I can agree with that. And yeah. like, mm-hmm. he's, he's got that right. But I wouldn't think I'd be able to do that if I hadn't gone to Christen or something where I had this foundation where it's like, right. no, I've actually heard from other people who are also very wise and yeah. I, I'm more compelled by their arguments than someone who's kind of introducing everything down to a materialistic outro- uh, approach where it's just like, oh, you don't really need religion because with spirituality you can get meditation. Meditation apparently is the highest 
form of human goodness because and it's kind of like well i think you're just reducing everything down to some like secular buddhism at this point like it's not really like you can't really separate it too from the religion itself because yeah. outside of itself then it loses its source right. in a way that it i don't think it can exist because you might be like oh okay well i'm a good person i meditate and i'm one with this consciousness but how is that going to really be passed down to your children like and they're going to have to deal with that themselves but like mm-hmm. there's no sense of tradition there too it, it it lacks this comprehensive at like catholic universal character where like for me the catholic faith it's not just like one argument it's it's all these different things even newman talks about this it's this convergence and confluence of all these different things where it's not again it's not the silver bolt argument that convinced me rationally it's more like i just know so many good things from this and there's also the rational arguments but it's not just rational arguments because an atheist can make a lot of good rational arguments as well as sophisticated and like clever as they may be like for me it's more just the comprehensive where it's not just reason it's also just the goodness of my catholic community and you might see that goodness in other communities but they, they lack the rational part right. for me it's more just like i see this comprehensive character to it all that all connects and it's contextual and connected um but having that i can be confident in that connection mm-hmm. i come from this rich tradition where i can actually respond to someone like sam harris and be like no those are good things that's like like i agree with that that part actually yeah um or i agree with that part but i think you're taking it in the wrong direction mm-hmm. um but if i didn't have that strong tradition a sense of who i was i would just be like oh my gosh he's right yeah meditation yeah like <laughs> right. i just need to get into meditation right. and right uh, it'll fix everything and i'll be a good human being yeah. Yeah. well and that's why i think that <clears throat> that's why i think that uh matt Ferrat is such a good interviewer because he'll have people on and most of them are catholic some of them aren't but he's able to he has this really incredible ability to like affirm people in the good that they're doing and also be like yeah you're you're doing that and i think that's wonderful and like god bless and he'll he'll actually say this a lot where he's like I really like, I pray for all the Protestant brothers and sisters that listen to this podcast. And it's like, wow, that's like, no one does that. That's awesome. Right. But he's also willing to be like, but, but this thing is true. Right. <laughs> like, and right. I don't know why you disagree with that. So, right. You um, guys are wrong. Like it's something. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a really good practice for people to do is to, um, not to sidestep evil. Like, like St. Paul talks about like run from evil. Like if it's, if it's something you can't, drive out of your life with like prayer and fasting like you have to run from it mm-hmm. and like you you have to do that that right. like that's very clear sorry um don't dialogue with the devil but at the same time it's it's wrong to just find a book or a tv show or just anything and if you can find one thing that's slightly wrong to just condemn the entire thing right like you wouldn't do that with a person like if a, if a person now on a on a general level um and it maybe it depends on the belief but on a general level you can say abortion is wrong across the board, but with that individual person who thinks that abortion is wrong, you're not going to be like, well, you're going to hell. Right. Yeah. Maybe they're at a point where you need to get that dramatic, but really in terms of individual conversion, you'd be like, well, why do you think that this is right? And right. like, what about the baby? And like, where do you think life starts? And it's a bigger conversation. But a lot, but a and so I think people are too lazy to do that. Like yeah. it might be right. more just like there's deep wounds there mm-hmm. and they've mm-hmm. suffered because of X totally. factor this, like maybe just yeah. an abusive relationship or, like yeah again like a fatherless generation where you have a lot of guys who didn't even have a dad or right someone yeah went through an abortion in the past and it's a terrible experience but they right. don't want to talk about it or they never got healing from it mm-hmm. 
So it's, yeah, it's one of those times where it's like, yes, I believe that's like abortion's wrong, but I'm not going to condemn you. Like, first of all, I can't actually condemn you to hell because that's not in my power. And mm-hmm. like, all that, like when you can, when you believe someone's going to hell, it's not like you're going to hell because you did that. It's like, yeah, no, if you continue on this path, ultimately, mm-hmm. right. I think you're jeopardizing your chances of getting to heaven very much so. Right. But you just never know what grace is going to work in their life. It's mm-hmm. like, you don't have to be there to condemn them. You need to be there to actually listen and understand so you can actually turn them back and help right. them walk yeah. back. And, th- and there's so much, and that's the the beautiful thing about Catholicism is so much of that, I think, is prudence. Like, if you're, you know, again, if you're street evangelization, if you're doing street evangelization and there's a drug addict that comes to you, you talking to them might totally change their life. And you becoming their friend and having them over for dinner could totally change their life. But if you have a bunch of kids and you have a drug addict all the over all the time, that might not be that might be good for them to see your family and everything, but that's not a good influence for your kids. Right. So there's so there's a prudence that goes into that. But I think that it's wrong for Catholics to just be like, well, like they're on drugs, like write them off. Right. Yeah. There, I, you do get to a certain point where it's like you've proven time and time again that you're addicted to this. You don't care. You're not turning your life around. And then there is that decision to like, we need to part ways. Right. Take um, more dress. But I think that Catholics too many, too many times are just very like, like kind of one strike and you're out and not. Well, there's, like, I mean, there's Catholic a, fundamentalism. It's, it's, yeah. It's sure. this focus on like God's justice and not enough on God's mercy. Mm-hmm. Or you have the flip side of like, God's merciful. You can basically do anything and he'll forgive right. you. And, and then there's like, well, no you see, did you see the whole thing about the ads for the Super Bowl with Jesus? He gets mm-hmm. us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Things, right? He gets us. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I always thought they were kind of like, Oh, they, they look like a good group. I never mm-hmm. actually looked them out, yep. looked them up. But then that ad, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, they're mm-hmm. uh, right, Wait, right. But it's, it's a whole mercy thing. But it's like, no, there's truth as well. It's not right. just love; it's truth as well. It's like this. They basically believe it's kind of like this Buddhist version of Jesus, where it's 100 uh. percent mercy, mm-hmm. but like no justice really. And so, and I think the ad, the ad shows different things, but it's like a right. a cop and a black person, and like this woman and another woman outside of a family planning center, and it's just like. Basically, no matter where you're at, God accepts you and loves right. you. And while that's true, that's they it's only very, leave it it's, at that. It's right. yeah, they leave it at that. And it's also like yeah, that's like Jesus can do that. <laughs> like he can eat with the sinners and tell the adulteress to sin no more. But that's not necessarily your role. Is to just be like, I don't care what you've done. Anything doesn't matter. You can tell me anything; it won't phase me. And you're you're beautiful, and you should keep living your life the same way. It's like that. Like, that's well, the obviously funny, the, not the, the incoherent the thing about it is like it's all about mercy but the same yeah. groups that they're like pandering to are the ones mm-hmm. that are constantly marching for justice causes where it's like yeah wait right. but i thought it wasn't about justice i thought it was just pro choice yeah. again it's like we're gen- like we're an age where we accept everything and forgive nothing mm. but it's like well and now you guys want mercy like right. but you've again it's like you've accepted everything but you can't ever forgive anything because you've been hurt so by you've been hurt by everything that you've accepted yeah. And because of that, you're, in a sense, damned. Not like you don't even have to say, mean that literally, but like you are damned because you're so broken by mm-hmm. the things that you accepted and just kind of yeah. let run wild in your life. That right. yep, something that I uh, I try to reflect on when you like when you're faced with either a difficult decision or you just like see someone that's like related to you or kind of close in your life and you see that they made a bad decision the immediate Catholic response is I think to be like very judgmental. Like, oh, I can't believe they did that. They fell in that way. They did this sin. They did what they're hanging out with these type of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ben Shapiro talked about, uh, I don't remember the context. I think he was talking about women who get like 
pregnant outside of marriage. Right. And he was like, it, there's a very easy, and he was talking specifically about the like Jewish um, community, but I, this applies to Catholicism, I think just as well. Right. Where he's like, there's a, there's a very, it's a very easy to just jump on that person to be like, how dare you do that? How like, right. you need to be sorry. And like, you're a terrible person. But he's like, really what you need to do is approach it, especially if you're like the family of this person is to approach it in a, as reasonable way as possible and you know thankfully with catholicism we have confession and you can be like all right go to confession mm -hmm. make things right and then go from there but um but he's like in the jewish community you need to have a conversation with this person to say you've made a bad decision like you know that everyone else knows that from here on out the only thing that you can do that's going to be helpful is to make a series of really good decisions are you marrying this person yes or no no why okay this reason we're not in love it was an accident whatever Okay, it that's be a fine. Huge wake up call. Take like that's fine. That's the trajectory of your life. Um, or you are marrying this person. Great. When's the wedding? Like, let's all get behind that and celebrate the good thing that you're doing. Right. But that applies to a lot of different things. Where it's like you've made a bad decision. Are now now are you going to make a series of good decisions to improve your life, or are you going to continue to make bad decisions and like live with an abusive person right. and get on drugs and play all the this victim stuff. card? Yeah, and play the victim card and. And you have free will and you can do that. But if you want the support of the community, we need to see that you made a bad decision. You're contrite for that decision. And now you've amended your ways and you're going to make a series of good decisions. And if you do that, we're all going to be behind you. Right. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's like that. That is what mercy is, is being like, we accept that you did a bad thing. That's between you and God. And how can we support you? You know, right. um, again, always leaving the door open, being like, yeah, there are certain things that you have to do. If you want to actually come back into, like again, so yeah. you've, you've it's depending not on what you choose, you can standard. choose to step yeah. out of the community. But like we're a part of a community, like there are certain things we have to hold together mm -hmm. for it to actually be a community and for good things to come out of it. Yeah, but like again, being like we're not completely rejecting you, but there is this kind of standard at least. Like we have to see some sort of movement towards again rectifying your life. Right, yeah. it's not just again playing the victim card. I had this conversation um, two nights ago. This lady, I was bartending, and she came into the bar, and I poured her a glass of wine. We were talking. She's not Catholic. She's been married a couple times. Wasn't for her apparently, um, and then which was sad. But over the course of the conversation, she basically admitted to me that she was an alcoholic, and so I was like, "I'm sorry." Like kind of feel bad pouring you wine but you're already paid for it and you're already mostly done with it um but she just kind of had this sad life like she doesn't really have any friends her family mm -hmm. th like talks about her and gossips about her because she's an alcoholic but she admits that but she doesn't really want to change and so as she was leaving for the night um i was like well what are you up to like you, it's you know 8 30 are you going to bed you do you read she's like i'll probably go drink a bottle of wine and i was like you shouldn't drink a bottle of wine she's like yeah i know it always feels good and the next day you always feel terrible <laughs> i was like well, that's because you drank a whole bottle right. of wine. So I was like, hey, can you do me a favor? So I told her that St. John's had stations. I was like, because she told me that she kind of church hops. I was like, you should come to stations. Like there's a soup night. You can come to stations. It's not specifically for Catholics. You can learn about a lot about Christ because she believes in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm like you should you should do all these things. Um, and I was like, hey, have a good night. I know, drive safe. And she was like, hey, thanks for talking. Most people don't really like to talk at the bar. And I was like, yeah, that's what bartenders do. And she's like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to drink a bottle of wine tonight. I was like, good. I hope awesome. you don't. And they're like, you know, and there's nothing I can do to, I, I, who knows if I'll see her again, but it was right. just this like, okay, maybe I, inflection point. maybe I planted something and maybe she comes to St. John's and maybe, maybe nothing happens and her life is exactly the same, but right. who knows if that's a seed that's like 
she doesn't drink as much or she right. thinks about it a little bit before she does or maybe she comes to St. John's and meets some good people and like mm-hmm. her life has changed. Who knows? Right. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. Speaking of which, do you, do you have conversations with your, uh, your seeing double bartending? Do you have conversations with people at the bar where I, I know weddings are a little bit different because it's like very much just everyone celebrating the bride and groom and right. everyone's getting drinks and there. It's not like this slow, you know, fourth yeah, drink kind right. of what's wrong with your life type <laughs> Some conversation. But, where yeah. yeah just... But have you found that people get a few drinks in and they're a lot more open and you feel like there's kind of a real conversation that happens there? With the bartending, not not so much just because again, yeah, it's weddings and also most of them at this point it's been more word of mouth, local community, so a lot of Christian people. Sort of people so you know. Not, right. Yeah, it's not like someone who's mm. deeply struggling with something. Um or just a lot of super broken people. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say that really happens there. I was bartending or not bartending. I was a bar back at O'Sullivan's Irish pub, you know, so at, uh, in Arlington for a few months back in 2022. Um, but that was just like, that was from nine o'clock till two or three in the morning. Mm. And that's the kind of thing where it's just packed. And I'm sure there's a lot of broken people, but most of the conversations you'd yeah. have would be with your coworkers actually. Hmm. Um, and I was one of the few people who was religious, like traditionally religious where it's like other ones would be like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I was kind of raised Christian or some of them might even have been raised Catholic, baptized Catholic and they just kind of fell away. Um, hmm. So I would have more interesting conversations with them. One of the bartenders like loved Lord of the Rings, but is from a completely more like hip hipster hmm. Hmm. Like the approach. nerdy, the nerdy, right? And they, the like, I would kind of have arguments with him or like conversations with him about being like, it's well, like, you know, Tolkien's like Catholic, and he said it's like <laughs> an explicitly in a, in, Catholic work. <laughs> well, not even explicitly, but like it's yeah. formed by Catholic principles. Like, like doesn't have to be like an allegory. Like I know Tolkien writes about like applicability as opposed to allegory. Allegory where C.S. Lewis is much more allegorical, but for him, it's like there's clearly catholic principles here um but you'd have those conversations where he's like i don't know but like he literally had like tattoos of like the shire on his arm it's great but like it was more of those like okay starting from a human human point like it's this great beautiful film Hmm. and we both appreciate and love it um and even there it was kind of like they didn't i don't know what their lives are like now um and i doubt i made any difference but the fact is like Hell, they liked me. They're like, James is great, and he's Catholic, and he's like traditional Catholic. Like that's like they would just kind of assume, like especially if they were raised Catholic, they would have a lot of brokenness, probably from falling away from the church, or it was just laziness and they just didn't really care. Yeah. Um, but you just yeah, so those moments where it's like you had those good conversations with them, and they were kind of like you could see something working there, but it doesn't mean anything's gonna happen right then and there. But yeah. you're like that's where you just pray and hope that there's a seed that was planted. Um, I saw this really funny yeah. post today that the Babylon Bee did, and it was uh, it was like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis are sent to separate corners in heaven because of their disagreement over allegory or something like <laughs> something to that effect. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, it's it, bartending is is such a a fascinating thing because mm-hmm. you're either in this like really high pace like wedding, everyone's just especially Catholic weddings are so fun. Like people are generous with tips. Right. Everyone's like 
maybe they want a specific drink, but like they're usually they're pretty open to like surprise me or what's the classic cocktail. Or most of the time, it's just very innocent. Fun everyone just wants too. like yeah. There's no like people aren't like coming up and just doing like ten shots. Like right. they they they're having fun. They're generous. They're ha- like they're just really having a good time. And then as the bartender, you're just like flying, making drinks, and every like everyone loves you because you're the bartender. Right. But then you also get into those scenarios where it's like pretty slow, and you're only making a few drinks. But then people come up and they've maybe had a couple drinks, but they get really honest about stuff. And <laughs> I think the initial reaction is to be like, "You're making a fool of yourself. Like right. you're talking about your love life, and I've met you once." But it's also kind of beautiful when you have people who come up and are just like. I don't, I don't have any friends and you guys seem awesome. And right. And then they just kind of spill everything. And you're like, wow, I would not do that. Even if I was like pretty intoxicated, I think it would take me a lot to get to this point. And they're just like very open about stuff. And it's really cool. Like it's a, it's not quite the same as having drinks and being on a podcast or hanging out with your friends, but it's kind of along the same lines where you have a couple drinks and you loosen up a bit and you're just able to talk about stuff and people especially if you can tell that they're feeling mm-hmm. it a little bit, like they aren't going to get offended. Like they, they're just so open and relaxed about right. everything that conversation is like just really fun. Like right. you just, you can be like genuinely enthusiastic and happy for them. And they're just like and super you just psyched about a thing that they... in the morning and remember the conversation. Yeah, yeah, but... no, exactly. Um, but what, what caused you guys to, to start the company? Was that just like... You were asked to do a bunch of events together and you're like, well, we, we might were, as well it started do with our Mr. own thing. Working with Mr. Brown in okay. downtown catering. Um, just doing the serving first and then there were times where downtown catering would be in charge of the bartending too and they would just need some of the servers to step up and serve beer and wine so joe and i started doing that or sometimes it would just be one of us while the other one was serving and mr brown's local so we'd be doing it where there were christian people there and they'd be like mm. oh this is fun there's twins behind the bar <laughs> do you guys want to come and bartend our wedding like, it's just going to be on someone's property, and it's going to be beer and wine and, like, two or three mixed drinks. And Joan and I were like, yeah, sure. sure, yeah." <laughs> and then it it got to the point where it was consistent enough. We were probably doing that, like, two to four times a semester, mm-hmm. and it was we enjoyed it. Um, growing up in an Irish Catholic family where there's this healthy relationship to alcohol, too, I think it was, like, we had this deep appreciation for it in terms of community building and also hospitality where it's kind of thing where people come to our house during the summer like we all the different people that we'd have over like one of the first things to do is like you say hi but also like hey can i get you a glass of wine can Mm -hmm. i make you gin and tonic just the great memories of like just even summer evenings where um we have a guest over it might even be someone new that like we just invited um someone new to the parish um or an old friend who's a priest who serves somewhere in the arlington diocese and you say hi and it's like one of the first questions you're going to be asked when you get to our house is like, hey, can we make you a drink? Yeah. Something Your like hand that. looks so, a little empty. Yeah. Right. Um, and it wasn't like we're, like, I, I don't think I've ever seen my parents drunk, but it was like they had this very healthy relationship with it where it was, it was for building, it, it had this end, like it was a good in itself. It's something enjoyable that you, you like to enjoy, but it was also fostered good conversations and you'd sit around the dinner table or even around a fire or just sitting soft on the couch somewhere afterwards and you're just having a couple of glasses of wine and having these great conversations. So I think it inculcated this sense of hospitality and also just community within for Joe and I, and we did that with bartending. It, it there's that kind of sense of that where again, yeah, first of all, bought them wedding. So everyone kind of loves you, but like, <laughs> it's just a fun way of engaging with the community and, um, 
being able to offer something good, but also do it in a joyful way. Because um, you definitely get certain weddings you go to, and it's like, yeah, these people are just working paycheck to paycheck. And like again, I'm, that's not like a judgmental thing, but like you can tell they're smoking weed, and it's just like they're just trying to make it by. Um, but Joe and I have the opportunity where we've been given so much that's like, okay, well, we want to give back in that way where we can actually serve and be, do it joyfully. And uh, also just the marketing for it too. We're two twin brothers, seeing double, it works out. Um, so it got to the point where we were just doing enough and we enjoyed it. So we thought, let's let's make something of this and try to actually build it mm-hmm. out. Because um, on top of enjoying it, it, it pays well. Um, it's a nice side side gig. So yeah, there's selfish pursuits in it too. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a really fun thing to be able to, to market yourself as someone who can like provide the party right you're mm-hmm. like yeah we can come we'll make really good drinks maybe we have higher prices than some people but lower prices than others what are you saying, here's what <laughs> you're too expensive now. <laughs> um, i honestly don't even know what your prices are but <clears throat> probably pretty low i would expect um but yeah but just to be like we this is what we can provide like if you want us to come up with a original cocktail here's the price if you want right. just beer and wine it's a little lower but we're going to provide a good service. We're going to be friendly. We're going to be honest with you. Um, and those are kind of low standards. But, I mean, for people getting married, it's like you just need bartenders who are like, we'll take care of it. If we run out of ice, we'll go get more. Right. Like, well, the bar is covered. You don't have to worry about running out of wine. Like, yep. this isn't going to be a wedding feast to can of situation. Like, we'll, we're going to take <laughs> care of everything. And you have to you'll right. have to pay whatever, a fair price whatever for we it, lack in like, we're going to do it. We might not be super fancy bartenders. We're yeah. making these super exotic drinks. But it's like... We're gonna. We'd rather actually make up for that in mm. customer service, where we're totally. just there to serve and do whatever we can for you, like yeah. to make it a good event. Yeah, and it. it, it I think most uh, most people that have been in like the food industry would know, it's not as much of how much you know, like how many drinks you can make, what foods you can cook on the spot. It's more like, can you present it in a way that's like, how can I help you? What can I get you? What right. do you prefer? How can I like? craft a cocktail to what you like do you have a special request do we have the ingredients it's like just the ability to kind of read people and be able to make them a drink that they like and learn their names and actually ask it like building these micro relationships it's surprising how many people who if the bar is a little bit slow you're like hey where are you from they'll talk to you for a couple minutes and they'll come back and they'll bring a couple of their friends and be like oh this bartender's so cool he made me this drink was amazing and you're like yeah it was a rum and coke like it really wasn't that good but (laughs) or is your first time making but there's a connection (laughs) yeah like yeah i didn't even know what it tasted like but uh, but again, it, I think it kind of goes back to like being genuine. Like right. people just like people, genuine people. people. They, they don't want someone who's like following a recipe and on their phone and handing you a drink and not looking at right. it. They want someone who's like, what do you prefer? What do you, like, are you a bourbon guy? Are you a scotch guy? Oh, I'm a scotch guy. Oh, we have this scotch. Do you want to try it? Like right. that gets people because it gets them talking about what they're interested in. You learn something. They have a relationship with you. And like I can remember specifically different weddings where people have come up and like thanked me for something or right. uh, there was a the father of the, of the bride one time came up and was like hey i have some extra whiskey i'm gonna hide it back here for you know there's a certain select people and at the end of the night i did apparently i did such a good job but he was like you just take the rest of the bottle and it wasn't <laughs> right. that there wasn't that much it wasn't like a crazy expensive bottle but it was just like oh he he saw that i appreciated mm-hmm. it that i was i could talk intelligently about what i was making and what i was pouring right and he was like yeah just take take the rest of it you yeah. know so it's it's really a it's a fun thing as a bartender. It's also just fun as a guest if you have a good bartender. Right. Like and it really the, makes the it's party. It's a point too where people aren't just coming back for a drink. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, that bartender's great. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's an experience too. Right. And that's something that's really satisfying where you know yeah. people are excited just to come up to the bar because it's right. it's this experience. Yeah. And that's something that is. 
That's a Great. a topic I want to talk about sometime with probably a philosophy professor would, would be the person to talk to about it. But Thomas Aquinas talks about you should drink to the point of hilarity. And I always kind of wondered like where that line is and like right. what, <laughs> like how do you, how do you promote that without going too far? And how do you, I answer that. <laughs> the there it line. is. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good time. Hmm. It's that, I'm going to, I can't even remember the line, but there, I think it's Chesterton who talks about, um, like there's always a good time where like the sun does shine and there's like good, good beer wine. and red wine. Yeah. And it's just it's, it's so true. Like you have a, a good Catholic party. It's not going to beat anything else. Are we keeping tallies? I think we've referred to like Chesterton five or six times. Probably the most. <laughs> five or six. This is going to no. be, yeah. we've been going a while. So this might be my closing question is that um, on the broken pinnacle, mm-hmm. you're trying to promote reading, writing, um, kind of like getting into the real world. And I think for most people who follow your Substack, like they benefit greatly from that. And probably the guys who write for it are able to maybe kind of push themselves to do that more than they would normally. Mm-hmm. But for you, and I'm curious because I kind of have to do the same thing with the podcast is I feel like I have to like keep tabs on a lot of things and a lot of people. And most of that involves social media. So even if I'm creating this post about, uh, which you do this way more than I do. And I think it's just the nature of, of uh, your kind of your ministry, mm-hmm. but you'll be like GK Chesterton, whatever. But then it's like on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And it's like, you might just post that and leave and that's fine. But I think most people that do that, you kind of are like keeping tabs on like potential people you want to bring into the circle, contacts, you're networking, you mm-hmm. want to spread the word. And um, there's a very fine balance between being well-read and staying well-informed and being like kind of addicted to social media mm-hmm. under the guise of, well, it's for the podcast or yeah. well, it's for the Substack. Like I need to keep friending people and messaging people for this cause right. when really that might be undermining your cause. So how do you find a balance between, um, yeah, like networking and promoting what you're trying to do and also just cutting all that off and be like, I just want to like read essays and publish things and not care about social media and how many likes we get and all that stuff. Right. I mean, for me, it's not so much the networking because it's not like we're a podcast. We're trying to get guests. I think that's something we're going to be doing more in the next year. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert. There's a podcast coming out for broken medical. Let's go. Um, but we'll have to change our mic setup to have six more people on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, that's hard because our, our podcasts, I mean, there's six guys and if we have six guys, uh, that's a lot. Um, so it's going to be trial and error as we go on. But with the social media thing, for me, it's more when I originally created like the social media accounts is more just to draw people into the Substack. Mm-hmm. again because trying to invite people into something that goes beyond just just the constant like we have such a short attention span where it's like sure i can create these cool posts where it's like some quote from chesterton or oh, i said chesterton uh, <laughs> a quote from i don't know edith stein or some poem and it's like this very aesthetic cool post but it's like well, it's cool that that inspired people, but like we want to invite them into something deeper, which is the Substack, where it's again long yeah. form. You're actually you have to engage with it as opposed to like thirty seconds. Okay, I'll hit the mm-hmm. like button. I like that. There's pretty music with it. Um, it's like I created all those accounts more for trying to draw people into something deeper. But there's definitely the struggle of like mm-hmm. you make this post and you get kind of drawn to it. You're kind of like, yeah. oh, why didn't why didn't more people like it? Like, what am I doing? Like, right. what do I need to do? Like. 
I feel like I was getting more likes when I first started. We only had 300 followers, but now we have 700 followers and like I'm getting way less mm-hmm. likes or something like that. Yeah. Like I think that's more of a struggle and I, I'm the one who does all of that um, and it can be wearing. But the networking thing for us isn't there yet. So I'm not really wasting it that time. It's more for me like the social media content creation where mm-hmm. I probably put in a lot of time and care too much about like, oh, whether people like it. It's like, I just need to be making it and posting mm-hmm. it and right. move on. Um, but it's definitely mm-hmm. kind of like you become attached to that. It's like, wait, yeah. I didn't even create it for the social media. I created it right. so people would be drawn right. into it and then go on something deeper. And the way that social there. media is set up, like this happened the other day. Our, um, we had a podcast with Father Gregory and mm-hmm. it is, <laughs> this is going to sound really dumb, but it, I got this notification be like, congrats, like a couple days after I posted it. You got 50 likes. And I was like, and, and it was it was presenting it as like, this great milestone. I was like, 50 likes. Right. It sucks. <laughs> like 50 likes. That's embarrassing. But, but it was like, you got 50 likes, do this, create a reel. Like it was encouraging you to like, try to get more. Right. And I was like, Pull that's, you in again. that's not why I'm doing it. Like, that's why I didn't put up a clip of the podcast. Like I didn't do anything. Cause I just posted it. People can listen to it. And we got more listens to the actual episode than we got likes on the post. Mm-hmm. So it's like, clearly people saw it, didn't like it and then listened to it. But then I've got, two or three different people who are like that episode was great right. and those two or three comments mean way more to me than 50 likes because right. i know i go through and like stuff that i can't even tell you the next day what i liked right. you know yeah. um but if you actually listen to two or three hours of the podcast you're gonna remember that yeah yeah so um what's well, funny because yeah, i just put it all into perspective i mean there was an early post that i did is a gk chesterton post <laughs> all right james <laughs> you need to branch out a little bit <laughs> now, you actually, heard of thomas I aquinas to, i have to stop myself sometimes because there's times where i'm just like because i'll quote or i'll yeah i'll quote him a lot in these posts but i have to stop myself from being like oh i did him like two or three posts ago like yeah, yeah. space him out but it's his one quote whereas the christian ideal has not been tried and been found wanting and has been tried and or i'm totally blanking. the first part is right it has been yeah has been tried and found difficult something like that yeah um that sounds right and this is like pretty early on once i created the social media account i only had like 200 to 300 followers on it and it got like 10,000 likes like it went it was a lot went viral (laughs) yeah no it was great i was just like what just happened and i've never gotten anything like that so it's the kind of thing where it's like it i don't think it was like any better of a post but it's like Mm. you're so like there's there's such a loss of control there's certain things you can do to help it but it's like no that doesn't matter but you can depend so much on that where it's kind of like Mm -hmm. you're just so human you're kind of like you get the dopamine rush from that it's like Mm. oh i didn't even create this account because i was like cared about making these posts like it was for right drawing something deeper like the podcast like you got a lot of listens right and that's what's more important to you because that's what you actually originally created and everything else is just to pull people into that Mm. um but it's definitely a struggle not to be pulled into that yeah um and honestly i like it's not like i'm probably any better than you at at this point um i think it's more just not creating content just to create content it's more like okay when i have time actually trying to create something good and beautiful as opposed to okay how do i try to figure out something that's gonna get me likes like no if people don't like it that's fine but like i'm doing it because i want to create something beautiful so yeah for sure cool yeah all right well we've hit the three hour mark officially so we should probably close it out for the night james thanks for coming on good talking to you likewise this is 
doing virtue catholic podcast where virtue is what we do cheers folks Thank <laughs> you.